It's been nearly three months since a young woman died in the custody of Iran's so-called morality police, but the anti-government protests have not stopped. They are persistent because really the government's response has been one of indifference. It doesn't want to see and respond to people's demands. It's Monday, December 5th, and this is All Things Considered. The latest on the situation in Iran coming up. I'm Lisa Mullins. Also, with credit card balances rising across the country, an age-old approach is gaining traction on TikTok, tackling debt by paying with cash. Vaccine hesitancy in China running counter to the country's controversial zero-COVID policy. The connection between COVID infections and sleep disturbances And we remember the filmmaker who chronicled the fortunes of working class people, especially women, with powerful movies such as American Factory and Union Maids. It's 401 News Headlines and Wall Street Numbers are coming up next. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. It's getting chilly in Moore County, North Carolina, but tens of thousands of people out of power since Saturday are being told to brace for days longer. NPR's Ryan Lucas reports the FBI is stepping in after authorities blamed deliberate attacks on power facilities. The FBI Charlotte Field Office says it is investigating what it calls the willful damage to power facilities in North Carolina's Moore County. The bureau says it is working alongside local law enforcement, but declined to provide any further details on the investigation. Local authorities have said that two substations were hit by gunfire over the weekend. The Moore County Sheriff says multiple rounds were fired at the facilities in what he called a targeted attack. Officials say tens of thousands of customers have been left without power as a result. Ryan Lucas, NPR News, Washington. The Supreme Court today took on another case pitting a Christian business owner who opposes serving same-sex couples against Colorado's public accommodation laws. Justice Sonia Sotomayor asked, where's the line? How about people who don't believe in interracial marriage? Or about people who don't believe that disabled people should get married? Kristen Wagner is defending the wedding website designer who says selling to same-sex clients violates her religious beliefs. The line is that no one on any side of any debate has to be compelled to express a message that violates the core convictions. Five years ago, the court ruled in favor of a Colorado baker who would not make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple, but left open the question of whether businesses have the free speech right to refuse services. Today's more conservative court could decide that question. Georgia's Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and his Republican opponent Herschel Walker are on their final campaign swings ahead of tomorrow's runoff election. It's the last undecided Senate race. Nearly two million people have already voted early. The CDC is warning three dangerous respiratory viruses are all spreading widely. NPR's Rob Stein reports the timing is especially bad ahead of the holiday season. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky and Dr. Sandra Feihofer from the AMA say RSV, flu, and COVID-19 are all hitting the country hard. RSV and the flu started spreading unusually early this year, and now the number of people being hospitalized for COVID has started to increase again. Here's Dr. Sandra Freihofer from the AMA. Flu's here. It started early, and with COVID and RSV also circulating, it's a perfect storm for a terrible holiday season. So Walensky and Freihofer are urging people to get vaccinated and take other precautions. Rob Stein, NPR News. At the closing bell on Wall Street, all three major indices were lower. The Dow down about 1.4 percent or 483 points. 
It's NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. The Wayland Select Board is sharing the reason the town's police chief is resigning this month after less than a year on the job. Sean Gibbons joined the town's police department in 2002 and was named chief last December. This past March, town officials placed him on leave after they learned of reports of sexual harassment and other policy violations. An investigation found that Gibbons had an intimate relationship with a trainee and was often flirtatious at work. A man accused of killing a couple on the South Shore will return to Massachusetts to face prosecution. Christopher Keeley was arrested in Florida over the weekend. He waived his right to extradition today. Keeley allegedly beat and stabbed Carl and Vicki Matson to death in their home in Marshfield last month. And Massachusetts Attorney General-elect Andrea Campbell is rolling out her transition team. Campbell's campaign manager, Will Stockton, will serve as transition director. The team includes a hiring committee as well as groups focused on different work areas within the attorney general's purview. 48 degrees now in the Boston area should get down around 38 overnight tonight, an increase in clouds, and then tomorrow should be gray through the day. Temperatures about 52. Wednesday, maybe the mid-50s with rain off and on. This is 90.9 WBUR. It's 405. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by DuckDuckGo, a company committed to making privacy online simple. DuckDuckGo's app includes a private search engine, web browser, and email protection with one download. More at DuckDuckGo.com. Hey, this is Steve Inskeep with NPR News. When you support public media, you are supporting independent information. Might not always like it, but you'll know that it's delivered in your interest. The facts that citizens need so that we can do our jobs as citizens. Thanks for making WBUR possible. And thanks for doing it right now because we are in the home stretch of this fun drive and we are so looking forward to hearing from everybody there so we can end the fun drive, get back to the news and information that is independent and that's the way we like it. We know that's the way you like it as well. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins here to welcome Briley Weaver from our marketing team. Hi, Briley. Hi, Lisa. You are spot on. We're in the home stretch of our fundraiser, which means you have days and really just hours to make your gift today when you listen to WBUR you really do know what you're going to get. You've got a familiar voice like Lisa's that you can trust and that you know you can count on. We know that in return, we can count on you too. The way that you'll show your generosity is by visiting WBUR.org or by calling 1-800-909-9287 today. And as you type or dial, I've got my eyes on the latest WBUR hat. Literally, she has her eyes on it because (laughs) we have two of them here in the studio. They're hard to miss. They are. They are. I see the yellow. We've got some white stripes on there and a nice pom-pom too. Fashion moment for you, Lisa. Yes, exactly. I think there's some navy blue in here as well and a huge pom-pom on the top. And uh, and this is yours. Let's see. Why don't you give us the details on this, Barley? Sure, absolutely. The way to get this fashion forward hat and really wear your WBUR. <laughs> I, it is, Lisa. I can't lie. Uh, the way to get your uh, WBUR winter hat is with your gift of $15 or more. 
you already know, but that contribution will bring you more of the journalism that you rely on. You'll stay warm and stay informed this holiday season. Okay, again, so that's for your uh, gift of $15 or more. And we would so appreciate if you would pledge your support to WBUR right now, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. As we go to the news looking at Iran and the protests that are going on there, Uh, Long since uh, a woman was taken into custody by the morality police there. We'll hear about what's happening with the morality police as well. Just a full array of stories that you're going to hear on All Things Considered. Please pay for that. Whatever you appreciate, whatever enhances your life, whatever strengthens your knowledge, pay for it right now. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thanks. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by William James College's online master's in organizational psychology for careers in HR and talent management. Begin in January, williamjames.edu. And the ICA, now offering gift memberships. Give a year of art and inspiration while also providing vital support to the museum. ICABoston.org. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. What is the state of protests in Iran nearly three months after the death of a 22-year-old woman who was in the custody of the country's so-called morality police? And how much weight should we give to reports over the weekend that the morality police have maybe been suspended? Azadeh Moavani is tracking events inside Iran closely from her base in New York. She teaches journalism at New York University and has covered the Middle East for two decades. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start with what we know, which is, according to Iranian state media, Iran's top prosecutor said the morality police have been abolished. But to be clear, other government officials have not confirmed this. Is that correct? That's exactly right. The statement used an ambiguous term about the morality police. It suggested that it may be suspended or abolished. Uh, the, the term in Persian, as I said, is, is a bit ambiguous. Okay. And subsequent sort of comments by different state bodies appear to have walked it back somewhat. So I think it's quite premature to see this as a formal, lasting sort of legislative act that would truly dissolve the morality police. So you're saying there's been some walking back. For Americans not familiar with the morality police, what they do, their role in Iranian society, what would the significance of a move like that be? It would be significant. I mean, the morality police are a branch of the municipal police. They roam the streets in white vans and apprehend women who they believe are not following the country's dress codes properly. They may apprehend uh, young men who seem to be wearing overly westernized hairstyles or man buns or, or things that don't conform with proper sort of Islamic comportment. Really, it's a mechanism of social control. But also, this kind of attitude towards policing exists in, in different security bodies as well. So to actually really dissolve morality policing as a command within the Iranian security forces there would need to be a much more formal, much more higher up sort of announcement within Iran to really understand this is over. You spent two weeks in Iran earlier this fall, back when the protests were beginning. I, I did. It was, I mean, just the sheer palpable nature of having the majority of 
communities, neighborhoods, society on the sides of the protesters. You know, that silent majority's support matters. Uh, and you could, you know, I could see it. it you could sort of see it in um, elderly women going about their fruit shopping without their headscarf. You could see it in, um, you know, in, in different shops, you know, being willing to open their doors to protesters who needed to escape. I mean, to sort of see women en masse flouting these hijab rules, they're going to universities, government offices, where you would never see women challenging these rules. It was just extraordinary. So I think this is a very different round of protests and the government knows it's up against something sort of far deeper and far more profound than anything it's faced before. So understanding that you're speaking now from outside Iran and trying, as are we all, to piece together what's what's going on inside the country, do you know how what you saw in September compares to the state of protests now? Are they still going strong? Are they ebbing somewhat? Do we know? We see that they are ebbing and flowing to an extent. I mean, there are weeks that are more quiet, um, but they are really persistent because really the government's response has been one of, of indifference. So... Although there may be quiet weeks, you know, there will be expanding strikes, as, as we've been seeing calls for this week. You know, at some point, that silent majority that I mentioned may be dragged into the streets. Well, let me turn you to this other potentially key development, a three-day strike now underway, uh, I am reading, across Iran. Who's striking? What are they striking for? Well, the reports of strikes that we've seen so far are within um, truck drivers, um, different shopkeepers. Uh, I think we have to be quite cautious about whether we see this as as widespread general strike. Hmm. Is there potential for a strike, if it were to, to gain traction, to put pressure on the regime in a way that street protests have not been able to, at least not yet? Absolutely bigger strikes um, across industries that are um, that are central and 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 potentially strategic I mean that would take this to really a revolutionary level we're absolutely we're not there yet um, and I think it's partly because the protesters out on the street um, they they haven't been able to yet articulate uh, a positive vision of how and what they're seeking that would help all of the people watching and empathizing and supportive from the sidelines to give them a positive vision to come join in. So I think once, you know, if and when they're able to bridge that, then there's a potential for that kind of mobilization that we haven't seen yet. Azadeh Moavani is an associate professor of journalism at New York University. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. 2022 has been a rough year for America's personal finances. After rising sharply last year, savings rates have plunged and credit card debt has ballooned. And that has sparked a throwback movement among some young debtors, as NPR's Stacey Vanek-Smith reports. Jimmy Feldman is a writer and avid TikToker. And about five months ago, she posted a video that changed everything. I have a lot of debt. I'm starting with about $18,000 in credit card debt, which is so much. Feldman is 33. She's a freelance writer in Brooklyn. And she says there was no big splurge. It was just life in New York, working a low-paying job as a journalist and trying to keep up with wealthier friends. Dinner, drinks, shows, weddings, baby showers. Then during the pandemic, Feldman lost her job and her finances started to feel out of control. And she felt so alone. Nobody knew about her debt, not her friends, not her mom. So Feldman thought, 
I'm going to come clean to the whole world on TikTok. Why am I telling you this? In order for me to be held accountable, I'm going to need you to come with me on this journey. I'm terrified and uh, scared out of my mind. Feldman's TikToks have been watched millions of times. And she says people have been surprisingly kind, empathizing, offering advice, and for good reason. As prices have risen all across the economy, credit card debt has jumped at its fastest rate in more than a decade. And personal savings in the U.S. is at the second lowest rate on record. It's left a lot of people like Jamie Feldman drowning in debt with no real idea of how to climb out. Feldman started reading everything she could. And there was this one trend that caught her eye. And she decided to give it a shot. On TikTok, of course. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I'm a little more than halfway through a month-long experiment where I only use cash to buy things. Cash. Meet the personal finance revolution sweeping the nation. Gen Z and millennials have started using cash to buy things. No Apple Pay, no Amazon Prime, no Venmo, no cards, just cash. Organized in envelopes. One for groceries, one for gas, one for entertainment. So this is not exactly new. In fact, financial guru Dave Ramsey has been speaking about the envelope system for decades. We're going to put $500 cash for this pay period in an envelope, write food across the front of that envelope, and then you don't buy anything out of that envelope except food. Mm -hmm. And we don't buy any food ever except out of the envelope. <laughs> I met Feldman at the grocery store to watch her put the envelope system to use. My groceries envelope. I don't have anything like fancy. It's just like a Chase Bank branded envelope. But it, this is my groceries envelope. Budget for the shopping trip, about $45. And the food has to last her about a week and a half. She's already planned out all of her menus, made a list. You want to shop? Yeah. yeah, let's shop. And off we went. Feldman is focused. Her eyes do not wander over to the fancy cheeses or to the prepared foods. We roll right past those to the bread aisle, where the store brand is on sale. Really good for peanut butter and jelly making, which I've been eating a lot of since I started budgeting. And the price? Uh, $2.99, which is pretty good. 20 slices, so. It's 10 sandwiches. It's 10 peanut butter and jellies, baby, right there. Feldman does the math in her head as we go. Tomatoes, $4. Tofu, $1.89. Chickpeas, 89 cents. And she has to be vigilant. Prices are always moving. Over the summer, she got into the habit of buying a salmon filet that she could stretch into five meals. That they'll cut up for you um, at the counter if you bring it over to them. But then the price went from $20 to $40, which of course does not fly with Feldman's $45 grocery budget. What will fly? A whole chicken. Oh, it's $8.78. I feel like that's good, right? There are places in the store that she avoids entirely, but they do haunt her a little. There are these beautiful olive oils and these gorgeous bottles that are calling out to me. Do you, like, avoid the aisle? I, yes. <laughs> we didn't walk down there today. <laughs> Most of getting out of debt, says Feldman, boils down to these little mundane moments, like chicken instead of salmon or avoiding the olive oil aisle. But those little moments have a big impact. It totally changed my my understanding of my values and my relationships and with just the way I am in the world. It changed my life. It changed my, my whole outlook on everything. Feldman cooks more. She spends more time at home. She asks friends to go on walks instead of to dinner or drinks. 
And some of her friends are not her friends anymore. But she is committed, tracks her spending every day. She uses a mix of debit and cash now. Groceries, though, still all cash. How are you? Total, $40.22, under budget. Thank you. Feldman posts her progress on TikTok almost every day. In fact, sometimes her progress is so fast, she forgets how much of the $18,000 in debt she's paid off. Has to correct herself. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm in $16,000. No. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm in $15,000 of credit card debt, and I'm a little more... Feldman says she is going to keep budgeting, bargain shopping, and putting cash into envelopes until her debt is all paid off. Stacey Vanek-Smith, NPR News. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston checking business news. A down start to the week on Wall Street. The Dow fell nearly 1.5%, 483 points to close at 33,947. S&P lost about one and three quarters percent to close at 39.99. The Nasdaq dropped nearly 2% to end the day at 11,240. It's 421. Funding for WBUR's business report comes from Vertex, where cell and genetics therapies teams are using innovative thinking to create and deliver transformative therapies for people living with serious diseases. Learn more about how you can make your mark and shape the future at Vertex. Career opportunities at vrtx.com. 48 degrees now in the Boston area should fall about 10 degrees tonight to the upper 30s and increase in clouds. And tomorrow, clouds spend the day. Temperatures about 52 degrees. Wednesday could make it to the mid-50s with rain off and on. This is 90.9 WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge Trust, a private bank offering a full suite of custom financial solutions tailored to its clients. Their team provides private banking, wealth management, and commercial and innovation banking designed to power any ambition. You can visit their offices or connect online at cambridgetrust.com slash waytowealth. And Bassberry and Sims Healthcare Law Practice, advising academic medical centers and healthcare providers on complex legal matters nationwide. More at bassberry.com. Supporting WBUR is about the good we do when we band together with a common goal. It's about making a modest contribution to create stories and conversations that make your world bigger. Hi, it's Robin Young. Give $10 or $15 a month an ongoing contribution, which will help sustain WBUR for everyone who listens. Please give now at WBUR.org. Give now because we're winding down in the fun drive as we are ramping up the news on All Things Considered. So we need to hear from you because we've got to raise a, a total of $800,000. That's the same amount we raised this time last year. Our expenditures have gone up. But we are not raising our goal in this because we want to make sure that we are reasonable in what we ask you for. We only ask you for what we absolutely need. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Please make your pledge right now. Now. I'm Lisa Mullins, along with from our marketing team, Briley Weaver. Hey, Briley. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be here with you and, and really taking a moment to pause and say, why do I choose 
WBUR every day. We know that you're here listening and learning and feeling with us. It might be the top headlines that you get in WBUR today each weekday morning. It might be the warmth that you feel after experiencing uh, community and journalism on stage at City Space. And of course, it's the coverage that you get in afternoons uh, and mornings and uh, during the evenings from WBUR. Lisa said it. I'll say it again. If you are able to give, please do visit us at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And we've got some good news. When you give 10 20 30 $50, whatever you can give. Um, we usually got something in our back pocket for you. So we've got a hat, don't we, Lisa? It's a hat for sure. I mean, it's one of those hats where if you have it straight up, which you won't because it's kind of <laughs> chunky and hangs down, it would look like your head is seven inches taller. <laughs> and as Jay Clayton said, it's like a pom-pom with a hat under it. So this is a, a great um, gift from WBUR, if I do say so myself. It's yours for, as Briley said, uh, there's an array of figures because basically it's yours for a gift of $15 or more. We hope you will pledge whatever WBUR is worth to you. So please make your pledge right now. And it can be done very quickly uh, just online at WBUR.org or on the phone at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Absolutely. The hat is stunning. (laughs) I want it myself. It's got gold, white, and navy. Um, It's your way to share your pride this holiday season to stay warm and, of course, why we're all here, to stay informed. So thank you in advance for your gift today. Absolutely. If you've called already, thank you so much. If you haven't, please do it right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thanks. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Culligan Water since 1936. A local Culligan specialist can provide in-home water tests and custom recommendations to treat the unique attributes of a home's water. More at Culligan.com. And from Focus Features, presenting Spoiler Alert, starring Jim Parsons, Ben Aldridge, and Sally Field. Based on the memoir, his life story became a love story. Directed by Michael Showalter. In select theaters, everywhere Friday. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly. It will take a lot of work to switch from gas-powered vehicles to electric ones. And a lot of work means a lot of jobs for Americans. That's the pitch made by the Biden administration, among others. But as NPR's Camila Dominoski reports, this transition is not a recipe for a mining jobs bonanza. Alan Metcher lives in central Nevada because of a very old mining boom. My grandfather, he had gold fever. My dad and uncle, they had gold fever. Gold fever and silver fever brought thousands of people to these hills. Metcher never caught the bug, although he thinks about it. I'm always tempted to go out and pan after heavy rains and washes when they dry out a little bit. He digs into history instead. At the Central Nevada Museum in Tonopah, halfway between Reno and Las Vegas, Metcher shows me photos from the town's busy days. At its height, there was around 11,000 people here. But it's, it's boom and bust. Today, it's more of a bust, closer to 2,000 people. But there's a new mining boom underway in Tonopah. It's so-called white gold, lithium. 
The mineral is essential to rechargeable batteries. President Biden wants to make electric vehicles in the U.S. step by step starting from the mine, both to make supply chains more secure and to create jobs. So you might be expecting lithium boom towns, like there have been gold boom towns and oil boom towns. You might expect the town of Tonopah to be surging. Karen Narwald is the chief administration officer of Albemarle, which owns Silver Peak Lithium Mine nearby. They're doubling output right now. Boom! I believe we're increasing probably, um, it won't sound like a lot, I think it's probably five to ten new employees. Boom? As you can see from the site, a lot of the work is done for us by, the, by nature and by the sun. Silver Peak is what's called a brine mine. There's no giant pit. The lithium is extracted from salty water using evaporation. About 70 workers maintain equipment and run pumps, but it just doesn't take very many people to get the sun to shine. There are other types of mines, and some proposed lithium mines would have more employees. We are where we are. We have like 300 permanent jobs, which is a lot for, for Humboldt County. John Evans is the CEO of Lithium Americas, which is trying to open a lithium mine in northern Nevada called Thacker Pass. But he points out some big differences between lithium mining and, say, the oil and gas industry. For one thing, America doesn't need and can't build hundreds of these mines. There are big environmental and local concerns. The Thacker Pass project has been challenged in court for years now. Look, if there's uh, five or six of these in the next 10 years, I think we're doing pretty good. Tyree Gray is the president and CEO of the Nevada Mining Association. He says the number of jobs is only part of the picture. Our average wage is over $95,000 a year. And when you talk about wages like that, those are the types of wages that allow you to change your family's life. And Evans from the Thacker Pass Project says if you're looking for a bunch of jobs in the electric vehicle supply chain, look at what gets made out of mined materials. Like LG Chem is launching a plant to build cathodes, battery components, in Tennessee. Yeah, you're going to have 2,000 people that work there. Um, but for that cathode factory to work, you need material from the 300 people out in northern Nevada. That's one plant. Atlas Public Policy recently tallied up all the announced factories to build electric vehicles and batteries and chargers. They counted 143,000 new jobs. So, yes, there is a mining boom. But if you're looking for a boom town, it's probably all about the batteries. Camila Dominoski, NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Downtown Crossing Boston, with shopping, theater, fine dining, a holiday marketplace, and more. The magic of the season is here. It's time to celebrate. DowntownBoston.org. And Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at BrooklineBank.com. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. Respiratory viruses are spreading across the U.S. as folks gather indoors due to colder weather. The head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says hospital systems are being stressed with a high number of patients suffering from the flu, RSV, and COVID-19. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky says 14 children have died so far this flu season. 
This rise in cases and hospitalizations is especially worrisome as we move into the winter months when more people are assembling indoors with less ventilation and as we approach the holiday season where many are gathering with loved ones across multiple generations. Dr. Walensky says the U.S. is experiencing the highest levels of hospitalizations from influenza in a decade. Walensky says people likely have weakened defenses after not being exposed to flu and RSV while working or schooling from home during the height of the pandemic. Russia launched dozens more missiles today at targets in Ukraine, with some hitting homes, knocking out power in the southeast part of the country. NPR's Joanna Kakissis tells us Ukrainian officials say they intercepted most of the missiles, limiting the damage. Ukrainian authorities had been warning of the attacks for days, citing intelligence reports. The strikes hit as emergency blackouts were set to end. The strikes killed at least two people in the southern Zaporizhia region. Several houses were also destroyed. The port city of Odessa, also in the south, is without power after the missile struck. In neighboring Mikolaev, which was also a hit, the head of the local military administration, Vitaly Kim, addressed the strikes in a video posted to social media. We're okay, he said. The military and air defenses are working. We're expecting more waves of these kinds of missile strikes, but we will manage. Joanna Kakissis, NPR News, Odessa. Stocks finish lower on Wall Street, and you're listening to NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. New England's power grid operator says it should have adequate electricity for mild and moderate weather conditions this winter. ISO New England says it has plans in place for extreme weather and no plans to put in place any rolling power outages to preserve supply. The grid operator says it'll use forecasting tools to identify potential problems and take proactive measures if there is extended cold weather. It's not happening yet, but passenger rail service to New Bedford and Fall River is on the horizon. MBTA General Manager Steve Poftek says the $159 million contract for the South Coast Fall River branch is substantially completed. Work on the New Bedford line is ongoing. Service on both is expected to begin late next year. Harvard's former fencing coach is on trial for allegedly accepting bribes in exchange for helping the sons of a wealthy businessman gain admission to the university. Prosecutors in the case made their opening statement today. They say Coach Peter Brand sold his home in Needham to Ji Zhang for well above its market value and accepted multiple large gifts from Zhao. In exchange, Brand allegedly agreed to recruit Zhao's sons to Harvard as part of the fencing team. Defense lawyers say Zhao's children were good students and strong athletes who did not need to cut corners to gain admission to Harvard. And marathon world record holder Eliud Kipchoge is talking about his decision to run the Boston Marathon for the first time. He says he's looking forward to the camaraderie of standing with all the other runners in April. He noted the race will mark the 10th anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombings. I am among those people who spread positivity. I am among those people who wants the world to live in a peaceful way, in a united way. This world is our only home. We don't have another home. And this is the only home, and we need to take care of it by being positive and taking care of the humanity. Kipchoge says that running the Boston Marathon is part of his quest to win all six of the world's major marathons. He's already won four of them. In the forecast, look for overcast skies through the evening hours and overnight tonight. Temperatures right about 38 tonight. Then for tomorrow, still cloudy. Temperatures about the mid-50s. Could have some rain moving in for Wednesday. 47 degrees now in Boston at 435.
Support for NPR comes from this station and from BetterHelp, connecting people with a therapist online for issues like depression and anxiety. 25,000 therapists are available through BetterHelp using a computer or smartphone. BetterHelp.com public. And from Fidelity Wealth Management, working to help investors keep more of what they earn with tax-efficient strategies at fidelity.com wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. And I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. Top U.S. health officials today warned that three dangerous respiratory viruses are all spreading widely now, threatening to disrupt the holiday season. NPR health correspondent Rob Stein has the story. Health officials have been warning for months that the nation could be facing a triple-demic this winter, with RSV, the flu, and COVID all hitting at the same time. It started with RSV, which came roaring back unusually early this year, hitting babies and other young children hard. Then the flu started spreading early, too, making even more kids and their parents and grandparents sick. And now, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, told reporters at a briefing that this year's influenza season is well underway, with the flu spreading fast in at least 47 jurisdictions. There have already been at least 8.7 million illnesses, 78,000 hospitalizations, and 4,500 deaths from flu. Including at least 14 children who have already died from the flu this year. Hospitalizations from the flu are the highest they've been this time of year in a decade. And now a new COVID surge appears to be erupting, throwing the third element of a dangerous respiratory trifecta into the mix. After percolating at a high plateau for months, the number of people catching COVID and getting so sick that they're ending up in a hospital has started rising again. In the past week, we have started to see the unfortunate and expected rise of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations nationally after the Thanksgiving holiday. This rise in cases and hospitalizations is especially worrisome as we move into the winter months when more people are assembling indoors with less ventilation and as we approach the holiday season where many are gathering with loved ones across multiple generations. The fear is that the nation's beleaguered hospitals could get overwhelmed yet again. We now face yet another surge of illness, another moment of overstretched capacity, and really one of tragic and often preventable sadness. Now, there are signs that RSV may have peaked in some parts of the country, such as the South and Southeast, and may be leveling off in the Mid-Atlantic, New England, and Midwest. But Dr. Sandra Feihofer of the American Medical Association fears many family gatherings could turn into super spreader events for all three viruses. Flu's here. It started early. And with COVID and RSV also circulating, it's a perfect storm for a terrible holiday season. So Walensky and Freihofer are urging people to do whatever they can to prevent all three viruses from spreading. That includes washing hands, wearing masks, especially around babies, older people, and other people prone to serious complications. They say it's not too late to get a flu shot and one of the new bivalent Omicron boosters. Stay home when you're sick. Share your love by not sharing your sickness. 
this holiday season, please get vaccinated. It's the best way to protect yourself. It's the best way to protect your loved ones. And it's the best way to protect your community. This year's flu vaccine appears to be a good match for the most common strains that are spreading. And while it remains unclear how much better the new boosters are than the original vaccine, the shots should at least temporarily help bolster people's fading immunity. Rob Stein, NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by New England Innovation Academy, preparing students through innovation, entrepreneurship, and human-centered design. Tour day, December 10th, neiacademy.org. This is Amory Sievertson, co-host of the WBUR podcast, Endless Thread. For thousands of people across greater Boston and beyond, WBUR is a lifeline, a reliable, trusted source of news, facts, analysis, and truth. When you support WBUR, you strengthen and extend that lifeline. You protect WBUR as a resource for a whole community of listeners who rely on us. Becoming a supporter of WBUR means that every story, every interview, every second of breaking news, and every moment of joy you hear, you made that possible. You gave that to everyone who turns to WBUR to help them understand our region, our nation, and our world. So please, Go to WBUR.org and make a contribution to WBUR for yourself and for your community, for someone who might not be able to give. You are our lifeline. Thank you. You're also, in a way, the community's lifeline because your contribution to WBUR does strengthen the community. And we all want to live in a community that is well-educated, that's informed, that can make informed decisions. And we think that's what you get when WBUR is strong. So your phone call really does make a difference, as does your pledge at WBUR.org. The phone number is one 800 909 9287wbur.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with On Point's Meghna Chakrabarty. And by contributing to WBUR, it's a way to have an immediate and direct impact on your community, which is what Lisa is saying, because it's a pretty straight line. Your contribution goes to WBUR, WBUR, and all the journalists and all the people who work here use that money to help make journalism that enriches uh, the knowledge base of our entire community. And then that goes out to the world. It's a pretty straight line. Just, I guess, technically it only takes two dots to make a line, but this is three. And it's a way, again, for you to have a positive impact on your community. And if you're able to uh, contribute at least $15 or more, then we're going to give you, in return, a way to show your WBUR pride, a fantastic knit beanie in navy, gold, and white with WBUR written on it. It's perfect for winter, $15 or more, and we will send this hat as a thank you gift to you, but call 1-800-909-9287. I hear that it's fashion forward. I don't oh, know what very. you say, but oh, very? Okay, well, um, good. Not uh, quite so. avant-garde, but fashion <laughs> forward, yes. It's very cool looking. <laughs> so please make the phone call right now. Pledge whatever you can. If you can pledge $15, uh, $20, $25, we would love to send you this WBR hat, but pledge whatever you think WBR is worth to you uh, in order to keep us strong, to keep us going, and we are now in the home stretch of this fun drive. So we're looking for your pledge.
pledge right now at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Your individual phone calls are so important. Please don't underestimate how much every single phone call means to us, regardless of how much you pledge. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. And that is absolutely true, whether you're able to give $15, 50 100 500 whatever amount is right for you, They are all important to us because we put that money straight to work to bring you great journalism stories and voices you'd otherwise not hear elsewhere. So 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Sending out a huge thank you to everybody who's already pledged in the fund drive. If not, please know that we're in the last laps of it right now. So make the phone call 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thank you so much. WBUR supporters include Lauren Holleran with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty in Cambridge, real estate brokerage that is grounded in data and committed to thoughtful design. LaurenHolleran.com. When you feel under the weather, doctor's orders are often stay home, get some rest, sleep it off. Well, that is sometimes easier said than done. Falling asleep, staying asleep can be difficult if you're sick. And for some people who've had COVID, the sleep disturbances may last for months, even after they otherwise feel better. Science journalist Emily Sohn dug into that in a recent piece for National Geographic. It's headlined, COVID-19 can ruin your sleep in many different ways. Here's why. Emily Sohn, welcome. Hi, thanks for your interest. You write about one study. It was out this year from the Cleveland Clinic, where more than a third of long COVID patients reported sleep disruptions and reported them for up to six months after the initial infection. I wondered if you would describe what kind of problem they're experiencing. Is this trouble falling asleep, staying asleep? What? Yeah, reports of sleep disturbances are just all over the place. Um, The researcher who conducted it told me that insomnia was the most common one, but there's new onset sleep apnea, wild dreams, vivid nightmares, sleeping up to 18 hours a day, sleeping and sleeping and waking up exhausted. So the reports are really piling up of just all these different kinds of sleep disturbances that people are having sometimes for months after they've been sick. And is there any way to definitively tie this to COVID as opposed to something else that might be going on with their life or health? I mean, that is a really tricky question and it's hard. You know, I think data is accumulating to show that COVID is definitely playing a role. So before the pandemic and sort of in the background of the population, something like 10 to 30% of people report insomnia. And a whole bunch of studies have shown that during the pandemic, especially in the beginning, as many as 60% of people reported worsening insomnia symptoms. So I mean, I did. I didn't even have COVID. (laughs) And just the general anxiety was contributing to sleeplessness. Yeah. And that's part of it. I mean, there's all this research going on now to try to figure out what's related to COVID, what's physiological, what's psychological. And so what's interesting now with so many people getting sick with this illness all at once, it looks like we're able to start seeing patterns like this and and begin to dig into what might be going on. Well, briefly explain what we do know about how this might work, how an infection would lead to worse sleep. So there's multiple things going on and the immune system is super complicated. So understanding it is really a work in progress. But studies in animals show that when you inject a virus into, say, a rabbit or a rodent, 
it increases their sleep. They have more of this really restful type of sleep and less of the dreamlike sleep that involves more movement. But what we can see with people, and I think a lot of people might relate to, is that sleeping more does also happen early on. So you might, you know, sleep extra one night and go, hmm, I wonder if I'm fighting something off. I just slept a whole lot more than I'm used to. And then as symptoms develop, we find that people sleep less. So they might be spending longer in bed, but they're waking up more, their sleep's more disrupted, they're congested, their fever, they're achy, and those symptoms can interrupt their sleep too. If someone does notice prolonged sleep trouble after getting sick, what are some things they can do that might help? If the sleep disruptions really go on, you know, the number one recommendation is to talk to your doctor, maybe see a sleep specialist. But there are techniques that people can use that have been shown to work. The experts I talked to said that cognitive behavior therapy is really a key technique. And that's incorporated into a lot of just apps that you can get on your phone that help you work on good sleep habits. The ones that come up again and again are going to bed the same time every night, turning off your screen before you try to go to sleep, getting into a good routine, you know, maybe getting up and getting outside and getting fresh air and getting physical activity to help your sleep. Those have also been shown to work. The tricky part of that is that for some people with long-term symptoms of COVID, the exercise can set them back. And that's where kind of knowing your own symptoms and maybe talking with your doctor can help people figure out whether getting more exercise or getting less exercise is the right strategy for them. The right path forward. Emily Sohn is a contributing writer for National Geographic. Thank you for sharing your reporting with us. Well, thanks so much for having me on. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. Julia Reichert was known as the godmother of American independent documentaries. She died from cancer last week in Yellow Springs, Ohio, at the age of 76. Catherine Mobley from member station WISO has this remembrance. Julia Reichert explored the stories of working-class people in relationship to gender, social economics, activism, and race. Take her 2019 documentary that looked at what happened when a Chinese company took over a shut-down General Motors factory in southern Ohio. We're melding two cultures together, the Chinese culture and the U.S. culture. American Factory won an Academy Award and a Primetime Emmy. Her celebrated documentaries also include Union Maids, Seeing Red, and The Last Truck, about what happened to workers in Dayton, Ohio, when that GM plant closed. For a year and a half, I didn't have anything. We lost our home, we lost a vehicle. The director's social awareness was ignited while attending Antioch College during the Civil Rights era. She was part of a small group of female students who read provocative essays about women's liberation while questioning social norms. I grew up, I came of age in the 60s. That's Julia Reichardt on public radio station WYSO last year. Millions of us saw racism, saw U.S. domination around the world, saw huge inequalities class-wise, and we said, the system's not working, we got to replace it. And we became, on some broad sense, revolutionaries. Reichardt grew up in Bordentown, New Jersey. Her father was a butcher and her mother was a nurse. They were conservative Republicans. 
I was a very awkward kid. I wanted to understand how people worked because I often thought I was like a Martian. I was intensely curious about people because I felt so different from everybody else. These awkward feelings, combined with her unquenchable desire to reveal quiet human truths, sparked her 1971 debut film, Growing Up Female. At 21, Tammy feels she is free. She feels she can make her own decisions about her life and can do whatever she wishes. But can she? This student film was produced with then-partner Jim Klein. It was one of the first movies to come out of the women's liberation movement and was picked by the Library of Congress for its National Film Registry. During her 50-year career, Reichard got offers from Hollywood along with what she called real money. But the artist was committed to living in Ohio. We need filmmakers, radio people, activists in the Midwest, people who are interested in examining and changing the world so we can be a voice where there is no voice. Julia Reichard was a voice. She showed the journeys of working-class people in the Midwest through a clear and compassionate lens. For NPR News, I'm Catherine Mobley in Yellow Springs, Ohio. listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters return to delight all ages this holiday season. On stage through December 31st. Tickets at bostonballet.org. I'm Scott Simon. Your monthly contribution to WBUR says that you value journalism that keeps you informed. You value reporting that's rooted in your community. You value independent journalism as the foundation of our democracy. More than what your contribution says about you is what it can do. Your monthly contribution to WBUR makes the station's independent journalism possible. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And please do it right now. We know there are so many people listening to WBUR right now. Many have given. Thank you so much if you have. If you haven't, I'm going to speak really quickly and hand it over to Megna Chakrabarty from On Point because we are under a deadline. Seven minutes for what? If I had an alarm right now, I'd be like, woo, woo, for the triple match, triple match. We have a flash match that's been offered by generous listeners who are offering to pony up a triple match for your support of WBUR. So if you give $10 a month, the triple match makes it $30 a month. Give $100 a month, it becomes $300 a month. You get the picture. Uh, This is only available for a short period of time, so take advantage to make your money go 
three times as far. Call 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And when she says short period of time, she means six minutes because this disappears at five o'clock. So please do your best to take every single penny that's on the table available from those very kind, very generous members of the Morrow Society who put up this uh, triple match. It's a total of uh, $2,500. So anything above that, they won't be able to match. So we need to make sure that our contributions, your contributions in aggregate, add up to $2,500 just in the next uh, five and a half minutes now. So here's the number, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Hey there, it's Tamara Keith from NPR. I thrive on deadlines. I don't think I'd get anything done without them. Just ask my editor. If you're the same way, I'm here to help you out with a little nudge to get something important done. I'm going to give you a deadline for donating to this station. You can knock it out in five minutes, I swear. Start a timer. Your deadline is now. Here's how to give. By calling 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Megna, I bet it'll even take less than five minutes. Yeah, and in fact, I'm so glad that Tamara said five minutes because that's all the time we have to make the most of this triple match, which has been put on the table from generous listeners. So again, this is a chance to make your money go three times as far, but there's really only this tiny five-minute window in which to do it. So call 1-800-909-9287, or if online is easier, you can go to WBUR.org. And again, triple match. Your money will be triple matched by a generous group of listeners, but you have to get this done before 5 o'clock, so now in the next four minutes. In four minutes, and we uh, should tell you that this applies to a one-time match, a one-time gift, I should say. So if you want to pledge a one-time gift of $100, it'll become 300 for us. If it's within your budget to uh, give a one-time gift of uh, $1,000, it becomes 3000 for us just until 5 o'clock today. And it's also applying, of course, to the monthly gifts. So give 50 a month. The triple match will turn it into $45 a month for us. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You know when you feel really great because you go to the pharmacy and you're like, oh, if I flash my pharmacy member card, I might like get 50% off of something. This is like three times better than that, right? Or four times, I would say, because the, the first and most important thing is you're giving to WBUR to help make your community stronger and more informed. And you're able to give three times as much because of this triple match. But it exhausts itself in just three minutes from now. So right. call 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And you don't have to fish around in your wallet for the card. Best of all, <laughs> just make the call Or remember right what phone number you've associated Exactly. With we make this as easy as possible. I mean, where else can you go right now and have your dollar put uh, uh, tripled? Right now, you can do that at WBUR, uh, WBUR.org or 1-800-909-9287. Remember, if you pledge a one-time gift of, say, $150, then it becomes uh, 400 for, uh, what am I thinking? 150 times three? Three, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Megan. 450. 450. That's right, even better. So oh nobody God. nobody to make to give you Math the, the, pop the like, quiz. Yeah, exactly, I know. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It's the pressure. It's now two and a half minutes left to go for us to be able to get this triple match um, if we uh, don't get $2,500 worth of pledges, then we are leaving money on the table. We 
really don't want to do that. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And don't worry, the people who are, will take your call, or especially if you do it online, they'll be able to handle the time three. Handle it. Yes. Uh, that's why they do their jobs, um, and we just talk about it. So 1-800-909-9287. And in all seriousness, this is one of those rare opportunities that you haven't, if you haven't given until now, really, now's the time. I mean, if you even had the slightest inkling that you were going to do it, do it now and feel three times as good because of this incredible offer from some generous listeners for this triple match. But it's done in two minutes. So 1-800-909-9287. And of course, we're offering the triple match. Of course, we're offering the hat and we'll talk more about that later. But we are offering what you listen to, what you get at WBUR.org. If you go to City Space, whatever you appreciate about WBUR, that's the real incentive. So make the phone call right now. If you have already, thank you. Thank you so much. If you haven't, we are in the last laps of this fun drive. So please triple your match right now by calling or giving online right now. Again, it's 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Just one more minute to go. Yeah, one more minute to make your $10 if that's what you're capable of giving right now. That turns to $30, $15 to $45, $100 to $300. You get the picture. $500 to $1,500. I can do that math still. But 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. We've got 45 seconds to make the most of this triple match. So call now or go to WBUR.org. And you know that your money is coming right back to you in the form of the news and information that you get 24-7 at WBUR. What a great return on your investment. And your investment is worth three times more right now just for another 30 seconds 1-800-909-9287 wbur.org thanks so much support for npr comes from this station and from crowdstrike whose cybersecurity platform is designed to protect organizations by monitoring trillions of cyber events to detect threats and prevent breaches before they happen crowdstrike protection that powers you. And from Total Wine and More, where in-store teams can recommend a bottle of wine, spirit, or beer for any occasion. Learn more at TotalWine.com. Spirits not available in Virginia or North Carolina. And from DuckDuckGo, a company committed to making privacy online simple. DuckDuckGo's app includes a private search engine, web browser, and email protection with one download. More at DuckDuckGo.com I'm Ideas and Opinion Editor Chloe Axelson, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Russia's defense ministry is blaming Ukraine for two separate explosions that rocked Russian air bases early today, leaving at least three people dead, several others injured. But as NPR's Charles Maines reports, Russia insists the alleged Ukrainian attack did little real damage. According to Defense Ministry spokesman Igor Konashenkov, Ukraine tried to use drones to destroy long-range bombers at military airfields in two regions to the southeast of Moscow, only to see both attacks intercepted by Russia's defenses. 
As a result of the drones falling and exploding, said Konoshenkov, two airplanes received what he called insignificant damage. Yet surveillance video appeared to show at least one explosion erupting in a massive fireball, and the defense ministry acknowledged casualties and labeled the explosions as terrorist attacks by Ukraine. And Russia had a response. Hours later, Moscow ordered a new wave of rocket attacks on Ukrainian energy infrastructure. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow. It's the final day of campaigning in Georgia's U.S. Senate runoff election. Nearly two million people have already cast their ballots. Sam Greenglass from member station WABE has more. For both campaigns, the final push is all about base voters. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock is spending Monday in Atlanta. He held an early morning meet and greet with the Teamsters Union. He's also campaigning with students at Georgia Tech and caps off the day with a rally in southwest Atlanta. Warnock is trying to boost turnout of young voters and black voters. Walker, meanwhile, is working to shore up conservative voters. In many counties, Walker underperformed fellow Republican Governor Brian Kemp in November. After a slim schedule over the weekend, Walker has five stops today in North Georgia and Atlanta's Republican-leaning exurbs. For NPR News, I'm Sam Greenglass in Atlanta. The Commerce Department says new orders for factory products grew more than expected in October. And Pierre Scott Horsley has more. Factory orders rose by 1% in October, led by demand for new cars and airplanes. The report also shows solid demand for computers and appliances. A survey of factory managers released last week painted a less encouraging picture of the industry. It showed factory activity in November slowed for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic. Manufacturing is especially sensitive to the sharp jump in interest rates as the Federal Reserve tries to crack down on inflation. A separate survey out this morning shows no such slowdown in other industries. On the contrary, service-oriented businesses reported an acceleration in both production and hiring last month. Scott Horsley, NPR News. Washington. On Wall Street, lower by the close, the Dow down 482 points at 33,947. That's down 1.4%. The Nasdaq down nearly 2%. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. A Lowell couple is being held without bail on kidnapping charges after a man was found dead inside a freezer in their home on Friday. Samantha Perry and Michael Burke pleaded not guilty at their arraignment today. Investigators are waiting on the results of an autopsy to identify the man and determine the exact cause of death. You have more time to get a so-called Real ID driver's license or identification card from the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles. The Department of Homeland Security is extending the deadline for Real ID enforcement by another two years. You now have until May 7th of 2025. After that, you'll need a Real ID or other acceptable form of identification to board a domestic flight at U.S. airports. You need to provide more identifying information than you would for a typical driver's license in order to obtain a real ID. The Baker administration has awarded nearly $100,000 worth of grants to help fight food insecurity across Massachusetts. The funds are being used to purchase equipment for 65 farmers and farmers markets in the state. The equipment will allow them to accept SNAP or Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program benefit cards at mobile markets. In sports, Celtics take on or take their best in league record of 19 and 5 up to Toronto tonight. Celts and Raptors tip off at 7:30. And in the forecast, lots of clouds overnight tonight. Temperatures about 38. More clouds tomorrow. Temperatures about 52, and then rain moving in for Wednesday. Highs about the mid 50s. 46 degrees now in Boston at 5:05. 
WBUR supporters include Progressive. Progressive Commercial Insurance protects small businesses from retailers to tradespeople, covering a variety of business needs with a range of coverages. More for entrepreneurs at ProgressiveCommercial.com. This is 90.9 WBUR. We are so happy to be able to tell you we had a successful end-of-the-hour triple match uh, just a few minutes ago, and now we really need to keep the momentum going. We're hoping that if you have not called yet, you will do that because we're in the last lap of this year-end fund drive. So make your tax-deductible contribution right now at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with On Point's Meghna Chakrabarty. And if you're able to give, I don't know, as much as you can, but at least $15 or, or more, uh, we, in exchange, will give you a thank you gift. And the thank you gift keeps your head warm. It's a beautiful, fun WBUR winter hat. So we're hoping you can give $15 or more, and then we'll give you the hat in exchange. You can sort of wear your BUR pride uh, around town. But in order to do that, you got to call us at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And the hat is um, very stylish. It's also tall. I mean, it doesn't have to be tall. Um, if you smush it, then it might look a little bit better. But if you have it straight up, it looks like your head's about six inches uh, taller than it actually is, has a big pom-pom. It does. And Megna, you know what Jay Clayton said about this? No. It's a pom-pom with a hat underneath it. <laughs> so if that intrigues you, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. 1-800-909-9287, once again, is the number to call. And the hat's fun, and it is useful. It's it's both utilitarian and enjoyable at the same time. But what, really what we're trying to uh, nudge you towards doing is to contribute what you think WBUR is worth to you and send that contribution to us so we can help keep this station strong and independent and bringing you the news, information, the analysis, the moments of joy that you look to WBUR for. So call us at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You know, people tell us that, uh, that WBUR at its core is a news organization, but those sources of comfort and joy that Magna was talking about, people find those as, as alluring and intriguing as the hard news stories that we cover, one of which you're going to be hearing right now. Please make your pledge of support at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org for whatever you you appreciate about the station. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fidelity Investments, reminding you it's never too early to start saving for your child's future. Learn more about a tax-advantaged 529 college savings account and how you can use the money to pay for qualified expenses at fidelity.com slash ufund. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. And I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. Russia's military unleashed another large-scale airstrike against Ukraine's electricity system today. Russia had been waging this sustained campaign for the past two months as winter was setting in. And now winter has very much arrived in Ukraine. For details on today's attack, we're joined now by NPR's Greg Myrie in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev. Hey, Greg. Hi, also. So how extensive exactly was today's attack? 
Russia fired at least 70 missiles at the electricity systems in cities all across Ukraine. This is very similar in scale to the previous attacks that have been taking place since October. The Russians uh, have been spacing them out about a week or two apart. And it's been nearly or it was nearly two weeks since the previous one. So Ukrainians were a bit edgy, expecting a, a new attack any day. And when the air raid sirens went off this afternoon, many people here in Kiev ducked into the subways. Uh, stayed there for at least a couple hours till they got the all clear. About a half dozen cities around the country, though not here in Kiev, electricity and in some cases water has been knocked out. Uh, this is certainly significant. These Ukrainians will have a long, cold night. But nationwide, it was not nearly as bad as some of the previous attacks. Well, how were the Ukrainians able to limit the damage this time? Ukraine's Air Force says it shot down more than 60 of these 70 missiles that Russia fired. Now, if this is accurate, this is even higher than usual. And and for Ukraine, it's certainly a good sign that they seem to be adapting to these attacks. We should also note that they recently received some new Western air defense systems, though we don't know exactly what role they played. Now, President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, put out a short video uh, just very quickly after the attacks had finished. He said, quote, Air defenses shot down most of the missiles. Energy workers are already starting to restore the electricity. Our people never give up. Now, that said, Ukraine may not always be this successful. Both Ukraine and Russia are believed to be running low on missiles. And if this keeps up all winter, as as certainly uh, people expect, it could come down to who has more missiles at the end of the day. Well, as Ukraine is getting hit, how in general are Ukrainians holding up, given that there is a long winter ahead? They're certainly getting by. Uh, We certainly see a lot of resilience here, but they know the power system is very precarious. I mean, even on a good day, power cuts are virtually universal. You probably have to go without lights or heat for at least one four-hour block, and that can easily become eight or 12 hours a day. Now, the Ukrainians make the repairs very quickly, but it is running low on replacement equipment, uh, high-voltage transformers in particular, and that's exactly what the Russians are targeting. And as you noted, winter is here. It was 17 degrees in Kyiv this morning. It never got above 23 degrees. Kyiv's mayor is is urging the city's 3 million residents to go spend the winter with relatives in the countryside where you can burn wood for heat. But so far, people are staying put. They want to stay in their homes, and they see this as resistance to the Russians. Well, I understand that there are also explosions deep inside Russia today. What more can you tell us about that? Yeah, this was pretty unusual. The Russian military is blaming Ukrainian drones for explosions at two separate bases uh, deep inside Russia. And, And what is really significant about this is both of these bases are well over 200, 300 miles uh, inside Russia. Now, there have been periodic attacks on Russian bases uh, inside its own territory, but not this deep inside. So you have to think the Russian military is at least a little bit rattled knowing that some valuable planes at some valuable bases deep inside Russia now appear to be at risk. Indeed. That is NPR's Greg Myrie in Kiev. Thanks so much, Greg. My pleasure. In China, days of angry street protests last month appear to have led to a change in the government's pandemic policy. Local authorities are easing requirements for mass testing, forced quarantines, and strict lockdowns. But as NPR's John Ruich reports, Beijing may be facing another big challenge on the path to opening up fully. 
In 2014, 34-year-old Tan Hua was bitten by a dog. She saw a doctor about it, and she was given a shot of what her mother says they were told was the best rabies vaccine on the market. But it didn't go well. That very night, she got a headache and dizziness. Her memory declined sharply. She had convulsions. She couldn't see. Everything was dark for her. She couldn't walk straight. That's 76-year-old Hua Xiuzhen, Tan's mother. She says they got emergency help, but Tan never fully recovered. She's disabled. She can't work. She spends the whole day laying in bed. They blame the vaccine, and Hua's been on a crusade for justice ever since. Also, she won't go near vaccines again, including those for COVID-19. I'm scared to think about it, and none of my neighbors have been vaccinated either, as far as I know. Vaccine hesitancy is real in China. Stories like Tan's are widely circulated. It's a hurdle that the government will have to overcome to minimize damage from the inevitable surge in cases that loosening COVID controls is expected to trigger. It wasn't always like this, according to Mary Brazelton, an expert in the history of science and medicine in China at the University of Cambridge. If you look at earlier periods in the People's Republic of China's history, then you know what you see is in some ways almost the opposite in terms of really strong vaccination programs that work quite hard to convince people, particularly elderly people, um, to receive vaccines against infectious diseases. But the breakneck economic growth of recent years, coupled with lax oversight and corruption, has led to a long string of product quality scandals, from baby formula cut with industrial chemicals to contaminated blood thinner to tainted vaccines. That kind of helps explain uh, the degrees of, of hesitancy. And it's not just the elderly who are wary. <laughs> This rap song was put out last year by the Sichuan Provincial Government Health Authorities, urging all to hurry up and get the shot. Scientists say three doses of Chinese vaccines can effectively prevent serious illness, including among the elderly. But Yan Zhonghuang, a China healthcare expert at Seton Hall University, says the government has done a bad job of messaging and debunking myths around the vaccine. Many of those the, the vaccine skeptics are actually liberal minded people. <laughs> they just don't trust that don't trust the Chinese vaccines and don't trust the the government narrative right, on the effectiveness of the Chinese vaccines. Jerry, a real estate executive in Shanghai, is thirty three years old and a pretty good example of that. He didn't want his full name used because of the sensitivity of the topic. Yeah, it's kind of a flu thing. It's a flu thing. That's what he thinks of COVID now. He hasn't gotten the vaccine, and he believes, despite science to the contrary, there's no point. I just think, think the virus is changing so fast. So not a single vaccine can, can help. And Jerry isn't alone. The government says that nearly 90% of people in the country have been vaccinated for COVID-19. But Jerry guesstimates that among his friends, it may be as low as 60 percent. These are educated 30-somethings in China's most cosmopolitan city. The bigger shortfall, though, is with the elderly. There, the official vaccination rate is just north of 60 percent. Again, Yan Zhonghuang. They still, they have not sent a clear message, right, convincing the elderly that, the, you know, you need to get a vaccine. It's good for you. He says the government needs to create better incentives for people to get the vaccine and offer assurances of support in case something goes wrong. With restrictions easing and cases likely to rise, though, the authorities will have to act fast. John Ruich, NPR News. 
Time now for My Unsung Hero, our series from the team at Hidden Brain. My Unsung Hero tells the stories of people whose kindness left a lasting impression on someone else. When Carl Goldstein was 12, he began taking piano lessons with a teacher who had a reputation for being demanding. Her name was Alice Shapiro. One time she said, you need to memorize that uh, movement of the Beethoven Sonata for next week. And my first reaction was, well, I don't know if I can do that. And she snapped at me. She said, well, if you say you won't do it, you can't do it, then you won't be able to do it. You need to do it. And I want to hear it memorized next week. I wound up just not really enjoying the lessons, feeling very uncomfortable and deciding that I wanted to stop. So I told my parents that I wanted to stop taking lessons and they just agreed right away. I said, I'll go on on my own or I'll take another instrument. And at what would have been the next to the last lesson for the semester, Alice decided that she had to say something. And she said, you know, Carl, I really think you should keep taking lessons. You're not, you're not ready to stop. That's all she said. I responded by saying, okay, I'll stay. <laughs> it was as if all I wanted was just this little sign, a sign from her that, that she cared about me. And her saying that just gave me some kind of thing to grab onto. And it turned everything around. Within a few weeks, we, we had a, one lesson where we were both giggling so much we couldn't stop. And within a few months, she was showing me things about music that I had never known before. And years later, she became my mentor and my confidant. And I went into music, went to Juilliard, became a musician, became a piano teacher. And that's what I've been doing for the past 50 years. And I owe, I owe it all to that one precious moment with my unsung hero, Alice Shapiro. That was Carl Goldstein of Berkeley, California. Alice Shapiro died of cancer in 1985. This is Goldstein playing the piece that he performed at her funeral. To share the story of your unsung hero, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to myunsunghero at hiddenbrain.org. Support for Unsung Hero comes from Little Passports, designed to help children discover the world with hands-on activity kits delivered monthly for ages three and up. Learn more at littlepassports.com NPR. This is All Things Considered from NPR We're funded News. by you, our listeners, and by Xfinity Internet. Committed to delivering Internet service over a gig, designed to power your devices while fitting your budget. More at Xfinity.com gig. This is 90.9 WBUR, a down start to the week on Wall Street. The Dow fell nearly 1.5%, 483 points, to close at 33,947. S&P lost about 1 and 3 quarters percent to close at 39.99. The Nasdaq dropped nearly 2% to end the day at 11,240. In the forecast, lots more clouds overnight tonight. Shouldn't be too chilly, right about 39 degrees. Tomorrow, clouds again through the day. Temperatures about 52. Wednesday could make it to the mid-50s. Rain off and on on Wednesday. Should clear up, though, toward the end of the work week. 46 degrees now in Boston at 521. 
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boathouse, supporting La Collaborativa, dedicated to uplifting Latinx immigrants with food, housing, jobs, education, training, and more, and providing 10,000 families with holiday meal boxes this Christmas. Donations accepted at la-collaborativa.org slash donate. And the Holiday Pops, helping you prepare for the most wonderful time of year by unwrapping the magic of the Holiday Pops. Now through December 24th, holidaypops.org. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Back to the news in just a second. We're taking a very, very quick break right now to do two things. One, say thank you to everybody, the thousands of people who have called so far in this fund drive. Two, to tell you the fund drive is soon coming to an end. You can say, well, thank goodness I don't have to call in. I don't have to make a pledge. We're hoping you won't do that. Why? Because you listen And we hope you know as you listen that we are funded by our listeners with voluntary contributions at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It is not commercial dollars that give us our money. It's not uh, the the government. We get very little money from the government. I think it's in the well low single digits. So we rely on you, please, right now. Pay for what you listen to. Pay for what you get at City Space, what you read at WBUR.org. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Magnus Chakrabarty. I'm just really excited to talk about the hat, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, samples of this really fun and useful, warm WBUR winter hat here in front of us. It's beautiful. It's yellow and navy and white stripes. It's chunky knit. And uh, we will give you this hat as our gift for uh, your contribution of $15 or more. And it's got WBUR embroidered on the side of it. So while you keep your noggin warm and keeping it smart by you listening represent. to BUR, that's right. You can you can say this is how you're doing it through supporting WBUR. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call or WBUR.org. You have time to call in right now and uh, make your pledge of support to WBUR. The thing is, you never get a bill from us. You um, get suggestions on how much we would like you to give, as Magnus said, for this hat. $15 or more, you decide. It can be $1,500 if you like the hat that much, or even if you don't, you like WBUR that much. So here's the number, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station and from BetterHelp. Connecting people with a therapist online for issues like depression and relationships. 25,000 therapists are available through BetterHelp using a computer or smartphone. BetterHelp.com public. And from Fidelity Wealth Management, working to help investors keep more of what they earn with tax-efficient strategies. At Fidelity.com wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Elsa Chang. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly. On the surface, the Georgia Senate runoff is a race between incumbent Raphael Warnock and former NFL superstar Herschel Walker. But these two black men have come to represent two very different religious traditions, the civil rights legacy of the black church and a growing movement of mostly white Christian nationalism. NPR's Sandia Dirks reports. The first sermon Reverend Raphael Warnock gave after his 2020 election as Georgia's first black U.S. senator was about God's victory over violence. We have to resist the violence of prejudice and fear 
and bigotry. In the wake of January 6, it made sense to talk about rising political violence on the right. But that wasn't all. Warnock, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s pulpit, preached about King's final unfinished work, his 1968 Poor People's Campaign. And the minimum wage has less purchasing power in 2020 than the minimum wage had in 1968. That is a kind of violence that crushes on the humanity of poor people. This is a kind of liberatory theology that sees freedom from systems of oppression as part of the work of God's people. It has a long history in the black church, says Anthea Butler, the chair of religious studies at the University of Pennsylvania. African-Americans are thinking about Jesus bringing justice, about a God of justice, a God of mercy, a God that looks out for those who have been downtrodden. And that's from slavery on forward. Butler says, on the other hand, white evangelicals are often more focused on an individual relationship with God. That's reflected in specific language Herschel Walker has been using on the campaign trail. He talks about overcoming his mental health struggles through God's redemption and personal salvation. These are signals to evangelicals that he's one of them. Lord, we know that this is a battle he's facing. The morning after, an ex-girlfriend of Walker's came forward with a story that he had pressured and paid for her abortion, an accusation Walker's denied. A prayer circle gathered around him. It's more vicious than any sports field he's ever played on. This is the language of evangelicalism. We call forth your ministering angels to be defenders, and we ask you to rebuke the devil. Daniel Darling, a pastor and director at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, says evangelicals have always been called to help the most vulnerable. We're trying to share the good news of the gospel, that Jesus saves sinners, that he's rescuing sinners, that he changes lives. Darling knows that Southern Baptists have a racist history. The denomination began as the Church of Slaveholders, but they've made moves in recent years to apologize and confront the past. And he says, just look at this political race. You have a contest between two African-American men in a state in the Deep South. I think this is a real sign of progress in our country. But Anthea Butler of the University of Pennsylvania says it's really an illusion of progress. It allows them to not think that they are racist. That is the whole point of Herschel Walker. She points to white evangelical support even in the face of scandals surrounding Walker. But in reality, what they're doing is supporting the stereotype that they have of a black man in their mind. If the history of slavery and Jim Crow is what shapes the theology of black church, that more individualistic-based evangelical ideology is also shaped by that history, says Public Religion Research Institute's Robert Jones. The way that I think many white Christians have made peace with really white supremacy, racial domination, segregation, slavery, was to just narrow the Christian concern to my own personal relationship with Jesus. That personal relationship can be incredibly powerful, and not just for white folks. It was for Bradley Onishi, who was born again when he was 14. He left the evangelical church in his 20s. He's now a professor of religious studies at San Francisco State. And he says he's seeing more evangelicals outwardly embrace the idea that America should be a Christian nation, that... The country should be ordered in a way that white Christians are on top of the social, political, and cultural hierarchies. Christian nationalism, Onishi says, is a new name for an old phenomenon. It's a vision with white men at the top, no trans people, no gay people, and people of color, but only in service of white supremacy, Onishi says. At the same time as white evangelical Republicans have embraced Herschel Walker, campaign ads and messaging paint Raphael Warnock as not a real Christian. He represents somebody who's talking about collective change and systemic racism. Well, that would upset the order 
Pastor Daniel Darling says it's wrong to question Warnock's Christianity, but his political record does conflict with core evangelical beliefs. A lot of conservative evangelicals or conservative voters might look at him and say, you know, the positions he's taken on the sanctity of life and other issues seem to conflict with my understanding of scripture. So I think that is a fair assessment. It's not just Warnock's support for abortion rights, Darling says. Evangelicals prize religious freedom. They want to be able to support and uplift the families and lifestyles that fit their longstanding historical definition of family and morality. Reverend Jackie Lewis, pastor at the progressive, intentionally diverse Middle Church in New York, says the problem isn't with the freedom to practice personal beliefs. The problem is when people want to force those beliefs onto others. It is insisting on its own way. White Christian fascism believes it is chosen to dominate the world. What's different now, Lewis says, is the right and white Christian nationalists have incorporated diversity. And the story that we're being asked to adopt is true is white power matters. And a black senator might be elected to maintain white power. Because in the end, that's what this is about, power. The power of a certain understanding of religion to shape politics, and of politics to shape religion. Sandhya Dirks, NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Eversource. Eversource knows the role energy plays in life for you and your family. And because of that understanding, in times like these, they offer plans that can help this winter. To see if you qualify, you can visit Eversource.com. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. Western measures to limit Russia's oil profits over its war in Ukraine were put in place today. The European Union is banning most Russian oil. And the group of seven democracies is imposing a price cap of $60 per barrel on exports to other countries. Here's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. The price will lock in a discount on Russian oil, especially in light of the $100 per barrel they earned just a few months ago. And it can be adjusted over time to prevent Russia from further profiting uh, from its war. The impact may be blunted, though, because Moscow has been able to reroute most of its European sea shipments to China, India, and Turkey, although at steep discounts. Russia cut off much of its oil to Europe after the EU sided with Ukraine in Russia's nine-month-old war. The West Coast sexual assault case of disgraced movie producer Harvey Weinstein is now before a jury. Deliberations over his fate are again taking place, this time in Los Angeles. Weinstein was convicted of sex crimes in New York in 2020. As Matt Gillum of member station KCRW reports, jurors heard blistering closing arguments before being handed the case. An L.A. County deputy district attorney painted the former Hollywood titan as a predator who used hotel rooms to trap his victims. To drive home the point, she included visuals of wolves, bear traps, and Weinstein. The seven-year-old is facing a barrage of charges for sexual crimes, including rape. All of the alleged incidents took place in hotel rooms between 2004 and 2013. Two of the charges stem from an encounter with Jennifer Siebel Newsom, a former documentarian and now the wife of California Governor Gavin Newsom. The defense has characterized some of the incidents as transactional and consensual, while flatly denying others ever took place. If the L.A. jury finds Weinstein guilty, he could face up to life in prison. For NPR News, I'm Matt Gillum. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. New England's power grid will be okay this winter under mild or moderate weather conditions, but the electric grid operator says a long cold snap could require the grid to take additional actions. Reporter Mara Hoplamazian has more. 
The grid operator's winter outlook says things are looking pretty good. They don't anticipate calling for any controlled power outages. If New England gets a long period of cold weather, they would call for more fuel deliveries or ask the public to voluntarily conserve energy. Dan Dolan is president of the New England Power Generators Association. He says the war in Ukraine has created a lot of volatility in energy prices and supply constraints. But he says it's not the time for calls of crisis. We do believe that we'll be able to maintain reliability um, under the vast majority of, of circumstances and situations. But it's a tight market. Dolan says he's hoping this winter shines a light on long-term reliability concerns. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Mara Hoplamazian. Boston police are looking for a suspect in a shooting that injured two people this afternoon near the Joseph Lee K-8 through school in Dorchester. Police say the incident took place on Talbot Avenue just after 3. A spokesman for the department says those wounded suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The new South Coast rail line from Boston to Fall River is substantially complete. That's the assessment of the MBTA general manager Steve Poftak today at a ribbon-cutting ceremony at the new Freetown station. Governor Charlie Baker says the two south coast lines to Fall River and New Bedford will provide service to the only two major municipalities within 50 miles of Boston that did not have service. This particular initiative is designed, among other things, to give people on the South Coast the same opportunity to get in and out of Boston and to get from Boston and down to the South Coast using public transportation that's available to so many other parts of Massachusetts. Baker says the trains to Fall River and New Bedford will start running late next year. Celtics have hit the road. They're up in Toronto to take on the Raptors' 7.30 start time. In the forecast, the sunshine that we had earlier today should disappear for a couple of days as clouds roll in this evening and tonight. Overnight lows about 38. And tomorrow, gray day back in the low 50s on the breezy side. Clouds should break loose with rain on Wednesday, a little bit warmer in the mid-50s. Thursday should bring back the sunshine. 46 degrees now in the Boston area at 535. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Subaru, whose Share the Love event runs through January 3rd. By year's end, Subaru and their retailers will have donated over $250 million to charity. Learn more at Subaru.com share. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement to support digestive health, containing a probiotic strain developed by gastroenterologists with 20 years of research. More at AlignProbiotics.com. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. The question of discrimination was back before the Supreme Court today. Justices heard more than two hours of arguments in a test of public accommodation public accommodations laws that protect same-sex couples from discrimination. You may recall that four years ago, the high court sidestepped the issue in a case involving a Colorado baker who refused to make custom wedding cakes for same-sex couples. NPR Legal Affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg reports. On one side is the state of Colorado, which, like 29 other states, requires businesses that are open to the public to offer equal access to everyone, regardless of race, religion, gender, and sexual orientation. On the other side are business owners who see themselves as artists and don't want to use their talents to express a message they disagree with. Challenging the law is Lori Smith, a custom web designer who's opposed to same-sex marriage. I want to design for weddings that are consistent with my faith. 
She's preemptively suing Colorado because she believes that the state public accommodations mandate violates her right of free speech. In the Supreme Court today, liberal justices Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson had all looked at Smith's planned website, which includes typical information about dates, hotel accommodations, wedding registry, etc. So if she's offering that kind of website to Mike and Mary, asked Kagan, why not the identical site for Mike and Mark? Kirsten Wagner, representing Smith, said that would be unconstitutional, compelled speech. When you switch out those names, you're switching out the concept and the message that is actually in the website. Justice Sotomayor followed up. How about people who don't believe in interracial marriage? I'm not going to serve those people because I don't believe black people and white people should get married. Justice Jackson asked about two photography store Santas at a mall, one white and one black. Both offer photos of children with Santa, but one aims for a classic nostalgia photo with sepia colors and dates back to the 1940s and 50s. But precisely because they're trying to capture uh, the feelings of a certain era, their policy is that only white children can be photographed with Santa in this way. Lawyer Wagner dodged and weaved, never really giving an answer. Justice Alito, however, had another hypothetical with Justice Kagan inserting a comment. Take a listen. An unmarried Jewish person asks a Jewish photographer to take a photograph for his J-date dating profile. Uh, Is it a dating service, I gather, for Jewish people? It is. All right, maybe Justice Kagan will also be familiar with the next website I'm going to mention. So next, a Jewish person asks a Jewish photographer to take a photograph for his AshleyMadison.com dating profile. I'm not suggesting that. I mean, she knows a lot of things. I'm not suggesting Okay, does he have to do it? For the uninitiate, AshleyMadison.com is a website for married people who want to have affairs. Alito also built on Jackson's two Santa example, asking about the black Santa at the other end of the mall. And he doesn't want uh, to have his picture taken with a a child who's dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit. That, That black Santa has to do that. All the justices press each side to draw a line. If the court says Lori Smith does not have to provide her services for same-sex weddings, then what about the baker, the jeweler, the tailor, the photographer, and the caterer? Colorado Solicitor General Eric Olson said a business can sell any service it wishes, but that service has to be available to everyone. A website can include Christian biblical passages, and a Christmas shop can sell Christmas trees, but neither can refuse to sell their product to Jews or, as in this case, same-sex couples, because that would be discrimination based on racial or religious status. The hypotheticals just kept coming. Justice Barrett asked, what if a newspaper decided to devote its wedding section only to same-sex couples during Gay Pride Month? Would that be illegal discrimination against straight couples? Justice Gorsuch put the dilemma quite succinctly. Last time around, we had cakes um, as either expressing the maker's point of view or the couple's point of view. And and that's really at at the heart of a lot of this. A decision in the case is expected by summer. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Globe Santa. 
bringing books and toys to children in need. Joy is a gift every child deserves. Join the Globe Santa tradition. Donate now at globesanta.org. Hey, this is Steve Inskeep with NPR News. When you support public media, you are supporting independent information. Might not always like it, but you'll know that it's delivered in your interest. The facts that citizens need so that we can do our jobs as citizens. Thanks for making WBUR possible. And thanks to all of you who have called so far to bring us this far in the in the home stretch of our end-of-year fund drive. We are asking you now, if you have yet to give, to make a tax-deductible contribution to WBUR. And if you're trying to decide how much, think about WBUR's role in your daily life. Think about what you get when you listen to the news and you hear about the Supreme Court and the latest arguments, in this case, delivered by Nina Totenberg, who is just, I mean, delivered to us by her, and uh, who is just the best there is at reporting on what's happening at the U.S. Supreme Court and explaining the different sides of the argument. And this is what you get when you listen to the station, just one of the many things that you get. Pledge your support to it right now, one 800 287wbur.org. Magna Chakrabarty is here to tell us about something else you get, or at least you can get. In this year-end fundraiser, of course, and at year's end, um, it is winter and it gets colder, although this winter's been kind of a little bit all over the map. But regardless, we will hit a consistent time where you're going to want to keep your head warm and cozy. And so that's why we are offering this terrific WBUR hat. Um, it's got a beautiful, fun uh, navy yellow and white pom-pom it's on like the top of it. It's like almost cheerleader size. Yeah, it, it's the kind of thing that like you will get noticed for the right reasons. Um, and we will give you, be happy to give you the gift of this hat um, for a $15 contribution or more. Whatever you think WBUR is worth to you. So call us now at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. So many reasons to give, uh, many reasons to listen to WBUR as well. Let's hear from some of our listeners about what they appreciate about the station. Listening to WBUR, especially right now, is really important for me so that I can just focus on what's going on and have some thoughtful analysis of what's going on in the world as well as domestically. The fact that the news is global keeps me in touch with what is happening around the world in a manner that I've come to know as being balanced, thorough, and extremely interesting all the time. It's very easy with everything that we are juggling in our normal lives to get caught up in just our own little bubble. And there's no way to reach out and find a new trusted news source unless somebody brings it to you. And WBUR is that trusted news source. They do the sourcing and make sure that what information makes it to me is vetted, is accurate, and that I'm not wasting my time when I'm listening. WBUR is rooted in listener support. Give monthly at WBUR.org. We hope you'll give $10 a month, $15 a month, $20 a month. I think, Magna, it's a minimum of 15 for, for the hat. hat. Yep, $15. And a- not many hats left to go. No, actually, thank you for reminding me of that. Since I've got one here in front of me, I thought, oh, I got mine. But <laughs> but there's only... <laughs> All about her and the hat. <laughs> there's only five dozen left, so only about 60 of these hats left, which means that they're going to go fast. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call or WBU. So pledge for the hat, pledge for Magna Chakrabarty and On Point, pledge for whatever you appreciate about WBUR. Just make a pledge in whatever amount WBUR is worth to you. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Once again, we're in the home stretch of this end-of-year fund drive, and your pledge is tax-deductible. Please make it now. Thank you. 
WBUR supporters include Cambridge Trust, a private bank offering a full suite of custom financial solutions tailored to its clients. Their team provides private banking, wealth management, and commercial and innovation banking designed to power any ambition. You can visit their offices or connect online at cambridgetrust.com slash waytowealth. Tens of thousands of people are still navigating a massive power outage in central North Carolina. Authorities are investigating it as the result of a criminal act saying that gunfire damaged two substations in Moore County on Saturday. Reporter Jay Price of member station WUNC joins us now. Welcome. Hi, Elsa. Thanks for having me. So residents there are looking at, what, their third possible night without power at this point? How are people faring right now? Well, last night it was really cold, 29 degrees. It's warming up a little, but schools were closed today and will be again tomorrow. Uh, The county set up a shelter, but only about 20 people used it today or last night. And at a police station in the county, I talked with Berlin White. Police had set up a phone charging station and she was there with her family. It's been good so far, but then again, it's been hard because I'm thinking about the children as well. My friends actually had a newborn baby yesterday And just to think about how there are kids living with no heat, no power, there's hardly any stores open for food. And she said that she and her family got through the night with a lot of blankets. She said they might have to leave now to find a hotel. Uh, The community, though, had come together. She said businesses handing out meals and people just seemed to be looking out for each other more. So that was a plus. And and by the way, this area might be familiar to a lot of people around the country as the home to Pinehurst, a major golfing destination. It's hosted several U.S. Opens and has more scheduled. At least a few people were actually playing when I drove through this morning. Wow. Well, okay. so how are authorities now explaining exactly what happened here? Uh, the outages began Saturday night, just after 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. The sheriff, Ronnie Fields, said someone very deliberately, I mean, placing rounds, it shot up two different substations. And I talked with him this morning, and he said from that type of damage, it was clear whoever did it knew something about electrical transmission equipment. I don't want to give up anything in our investigation of where we're at and which way we're going. So uh, with that being said, uh, yes, they had to have knowledge of what was, uh, what was there. Absolutely. And so the the FBI has joined the investigation. The sheriff says they don't know the motive uh, yet, but almost everyone I've talked to thinks there's a connection to protests Saturday over a drag show that was scheduled that night at a local theater. But we should stress there's absolutely no evidence presented yet to connect the power outage and the drag show. As we know, there's been a rise in hate speech nationwide against the LGBTQ community with a focus on drag shows. Um, Moore County Sheriff's deputies did talk to one woman who's a well-known local right-wing activist who's been vocal about her opposition to the drag performance. But after talking with her, the deputy said she didn't have credible information about the substation attacks or the motive. Well, any idea of timeline for when people can get power back? Well, they brought a few thousand customers back on overnight, but there are still almost 35,000 without power. A power company spokesman said today the repairs are pretty major and that most of those who are out right now could be without power until as late as Thursday. In the meantime, there's a curfew again this evening from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. That is WUNC's Jay Price. Thank you, Jay. Thanks, Elsa. This is All Things Considered from NPR News.
All right, we all know that a lot of people have big debts after going to college, but how do they get into this mess? Well, new federal research blames, in part, the colleges for sending financial aid letters to students that are confusing and sometimes misleading. Alyssa Nadworny is here from NPR's Education Desk. Hey, Alyssa. Hello. Okay, so how do we think the current student debt crisis connects to these specific letters from colleges about financial aid? So when a student gets accepted to a college, the school typically sends them a letter explaining how much money they're eligible to receive in grants, scholarships, work study, and federal student loans. Every college's letter looks a little different, making it really hard to compare. Colleges make them branded, like with school colors. There's lots of exclamation points. <laughs> These offers, they're part of the pitch. They're trying to convince students to enroll. And sometimes, as you said, they're misleading. Several years ago, Rachel Fishman, a researcher at New America, looked at 11,000 of them. Nobody did everything completely right. And then there was a few that th did things egregiously wrong. So this issue has been around a while. Back in 2019, the Department of Education told colleges to essentially clean up their act and gave them some direct instructions. First of all, you got to say how much it's going to cost. Be clear about what needs to be paid back and what's free money. Don't call it an award because it's not. <laughs> but today, US, the U.S. Government Accountability Office, a federal watchdog, released a report that found colleges are not following the Ed Department's guidance and letters continue to be confusing and deceptive. Interesting. So how big is this problem? So the GAO found the vast majority of colleges, 91%, either did not include or miscalculated the net cost. So that's how much out of pocket the student is going to need to pay. More than a fifth didn't provide any info on college costs. <sighs> Nothing. Wow. Melissa Emery Aris, she leads the GAO. She says this has big consequences. Students can face huge surprises when they enroll in schools. They may have to take on large loans to deal with unexpected costs. They may cut back on essentials like food if they're not expecting the costs. And they may even potentially drop out of college due to those costs. So she points to other moments where individual consumers are making big financial decisions. So taking out mortgages and credit cards, buying health insurance. Those have common legal requirements, standardized information to help consumers make the correct decision, and that doesn't exist for student financial aid. So what happens now? Like, what recommendations does the GAO have? The GAO said since colleges didn't follow the Department of Ed guidance, that leaves Congress. Here's Emory Aris from the GAO. We think that Congress needs to require colleges to provide this clear and standard information to prospective students and their families. So past legislation to do this hasn't gone anywhere. But today, Representative Virginia Fox from North Carolina, she's the top Republican on the House Education Committee. She said what colleges are doing is, quote, egregious and unacceptable. She was the one that actually asked for this research. And today she's introduced new, new legislation to make these offer letters more transparent. That is NPR's Alyssa Nadworny. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Thank you, Elsa. This is All Things Considered from NPR News.
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Lake Champlain Chocolates, celebrating the season with organic fair trade chocolates at local specialty food stores and at lakechamplainchocolates.com. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. The journalism you get from WBUR depends on a strong foundation of listener support. And that's why your monthly gift is crucial. Make a modest monthly contribution that will have deep meaning and a big impact every day. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And speaking of big impact, something that will have a big impact in the next seven minutes. Magna? We've got a triple match that's been teed up for us by some generous listeners. So that big impact means right now, if you call in your donation, your contribution to WBUR will be tripled because of this match. So get in on it at 1-800-909-9287. And it's only available for another six and a half minutes, just to the top of the hour here. So 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You know, we love having these triple matches. We don't often get them. They're kind of uh, uh, rare in a fun drive. We had one earlier today and we made it. You made it. Thanks to your contribution. We would really hate to leave money on the table. So please, if you haven't made your uh, donation to WBUR yet, please do it right now while this triple match is on the table. If you give $50, it becomes $150. If you give $100, it becomes $300. If you give on a monthly basis or a single time, it will be tripled no matter what. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Oh, I'm supposed to say this. Sorry. In case you are wondering just why we're asking for your donation, here's a familiar voice to explain. This is Ira Glass of This American Life from Public Radio International. One of the things that makes Public Radio different is the way that it's funded. We have the most idealistic system, the fairest system, the best system in the world. That is... Those of us who listen all the time, those of us who like the kinds of stories and shows and analysis and music and authors that are on this radio station every day, those of us who like that kind of thing, we all pitch in together, and that's how it stays on the air. Public radio equals public support. If you can help out, give a call. So those who are helping out right now are some generous members of the Morrow Society because they are putting up $2,500 saying, make a pledge. We will triple that up to a total of $2,500. And there is a time limit on this. We just have five minutes to go. Here's the number, 1-800-909-9287 or pledge online at WBUR.org. And by the way, that like quick moment of silence we had a little bit earlier when <laughs> right before you heard from Ira Glass, that's because Lisa and I were wondering, why haven't you called yet? Right? That's right. Like, we're just like, uh, exactly. what more can we say? Triple match. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. Thank you, Megan. You're most welcome. <laughs> but it's true. You know, we don't actually get these all that often. Uh, we had one um, a little bit earlier today, and listeners stepped up. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're waiting to get three times the value for your money. That's fantastic. So now here's another opportunity to do that again. Three times the value because of this generous offer from the the uh, members of our Murrow Society, a triple match. 
make your $10 into 30, your 30 into 90, your 90 into 270. I'm doing threes today, but 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. This expires in about three and a half minutes, so do it now. And uh, what happens if somebody gives at least $15? It gets tripled and they want to get a hat. Do and they get three you get hats? this amazing, warm, fuzzy WBUR winter hat with the pom-pom that we all love. The great colors. Keep your noggin warm while you keep your noggin informed. That's my new motto. one 800 909 Eddie, our engineer, is shaking his head like, was, oh, my no, God. No, it's really he good. needs Ooh. to stop. one 800 wbur.org You don't get three hats, by the way. You get one with your gift. But what you get is your gift, your, your gift to WBUR tripled. And that is, again, just for the next three minutes now. So we're counting on you to help us leave nothing on the table from these uh, generous members of the Murrow Society, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It means so much to us when you donate, because we know that you know that you don't have to do it, but we know that, or at least we hope you also realize, that you make up our operating budget, that this is a voluntary contribution to WBUR, and voluntary contributions are what has brought have brought us this far in our life, because it's not government spending. I think the amount we get from the government is 3.7% of our budget. We rely on you for the majority of our operating budget, which is just the way we want it, but that means that you have to do your part. And what better time than right now? You can get your match tripled, 1-800, your donation tripled, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And there's only two more minutes to get in on this triple match, just two more minutes. And I, ha- I have to say the members of our Moreau Society are so kind and generous in offering the, the match. We thank them and we thank you for taking advantage of it because collectively we recognize that one of the most important things in a healthy and functioning democracy is information you can trust and rely on. And you absolutely can do that from WBUR here because you know we're not putting news and information out simply because we think it's going to get the most clicks yes. or titillate or engage right. you in terms of uh, you know keeping your eyes glued to a screen. That is not why we do it. We do it because we believe that you, our community, deserve the highest quality, vetted, important information from diverse voices that we can possibly get. That's our only motivation. And that's what you're supporting when you call 1-800-909-9287. And you can make your money go three times as far if you do that right now. Absolutely. And right now means uh, one minute and 10 seconds left to go. You can make the phone call. You can go online, wbur.org, and make your pledge in less time than that. So the number again, 1-800-909-9287-wbur.org. Think of everything that you're getting from WBUR. What you hear on the air, all things considered, fresh air, here and now, Radio Boston, of course, Morning Edition, Magnus program on point, which is coming up at 7 o'clock, Marketplace, and then the fantastic experiences that you have, including city space events, including our newsletters, including what you get at WBUR.org, our podcast as well. It's so much, and really, you're not going to get a bill. We're just asking you to pay for what you think this is worth to you and your life, and right now, you get that matched by three. So $100 becomes 300 etc. Please take advantage of that. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Focus Features presenting Spoiler Alert, starring Jim Parsons, Ben Aldridge, and Sally Field. Based on the memoir, his life story became a love story. Directed by Michael Showalter. In select theaters, everywhere Friday. 
and from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at NerviveHealth.com. And from UMA, a cloud-based phone service for any size business with an automated virtual receptionist, video meetings, and other features to connect to customers and coworkers anywhere at uma.com slash NPR. I'm WBUR City Space Director Amy McDonald, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Booster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. North Carolina's Governor Roy Cooper says those responsible for shooting at two electrical substations in Moore County, south of Raleigh, this weekend, knocking out power to thousands of customers, will face charges. What happened here Saturday night was a criminal attack, and federal, state, and local law enforcement are actively working to bring those responsible to justice. Authorities say they found evidence of, quote, sabotage at the substations. Duke Energy says it could take days to restore power to the more than 36,000 customers who are still in the dark. Schools are closed again tomorrow. A state of emergency has been declared. No one has claimed responsibility, and the motive isn't known. The criminal case against the Trump organization is now in the hands of a jury who will decide whether the former president's company is criminally liable for tax fraud. NPR's Andrea Bernstein has more. The jury is considering whether two Trump entities, the Trump Corporation and the Trump Payroll Corporation, were guilty of a decade-long scheme to defraud, conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records. Prosecutors presented voluminous evidence of fraud, but the jury will have to decide if Trump's former chief financial officer and controller were acting, quote, in behalf of the company. For each of the nine counts, the judge explained that it is not necessary for prosecutors to prove that criminal acts benefited the Trump corporation. But he added that an act cannot be considered to be, quote, in behalf of the corporation if the criminal act was undertaken solely to advance the interests of the company's managers. Andrea Bernstein, NPR News, New York. NATO members are running a cyber exercise to simulate modern warfare cyber attacks. NPR's Jenna McLaughlin has more. In Tallinn, the capital of Estonia, ethical hackers representing NATO allies and partner countries are gathering at an annual offensive cyber exercise called Cross Swords. During the event, experts on the so-called Red Team will role-play as the adversary, launching realistic and ongoing digital attacks on mock security systems. The goal is to find weaknesses and prepare for real-world scenarios. There is no shortage of real-world inspiration, from ransomware to the war in Ukraine. Details about this year's exercise haven't been shared yet, but last year, participants had to grapple with a mock internal security breach in a fictional island nation. Jenna McLaughlin, NPR News. In Arizona, despite baseless suspicions from some Republicans, election officials today certified midterm vote canvas results officially declaring winners in the elections. That is some Republicans threatening to sue. Carrie Lake, who lost to Secretary of State Katie Hobbs for the governor's seat, says she plans to file a lawsuit challenging those results. This is NPR. 
This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good evening, I'm Lisa Mullins. A man accused of killing a South Shore couple will return to Massachusetts to face prosecution. Christopher Keeley was arrested in Florida over the weekend. He waived his right to extradition today during a court hearing in Florida. Keeley allegedly beat and stabbed to death Carl and Vicki Matson in their Marshfield home last month. The federal government is giving Manchester by the Sea nearly $4.5 million to help deal with flooding issues. The money will be used to replace the Central Street Bridge over Sawmill Brook. It'll also fund work to improve water flow through the brook. The grant comes through a federal program aimed at making the country more resilient amidst natural disasters. The New England Patriots now have one less primetime game in their schedule. Today, the NFL changed the start time of the Pats' December 18th matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders from Sunday night to a 4.05 kickoff. That means Monday night's game against the Arizona Cardinals will be the Patriots' final primetime game of the regular season. In the forecast, look for increasing cloudiness overnight tonight. Temperatures right about 39 degrees. For tomorrow, clouds through the day. Temperatures about 52. Wednesday could make it to the mid-50s. A lot of rain, though, off and on on Wednesday. Should clear up toward the end of the work week. 46 degrees now in Boston at 6.06. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Heather Sturt Haga and Paul G. Haga, supporting African Wildlife Foundation, working to ensure wildlife and wild lands thrive in modern Africa. Learn more at awf.org. This is 90.9 WBUR. We again had a successful triple match. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who called in. And Magna Chakrabarty, something else that happened during that triple match period and a little bit before, the hats. The, the hats. hats were flying <laughs> off the shelves. We've only got about four dozen of them left. And so now's the time for you to get yours, a $15 contribution. And we will very gladly send you this fun and useful and warm WBUR winter hat. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call for uh, at least a $15 contribution. If you're able to give more, we welcome those um, contributions as well. Whatever you think is right for for you in terms of how much you can afford and how much you think WBUR is worth to you. So call now at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And we're in the last laps of this fun drive. Our goal is $800,000. We are getting there call by call. So please do make your contribution, whether or not you want to get the hat for a, a base amount of $15. But if you can give more than that, we certainly would appreciate it. Make a contribution of $10 a month, $20 a month, 30 or more if you can swing that. Uh, so the number again is 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Megan, a little while ago, I heard uh, one of our listeners say uh, in a testimonial that we aired that, you know, you come upon WBUR very often because somebody points you to it and says you should listen to 90.9. You don't often people find people, I think, who come upon WBUR and don't stay there. Um, so why? Well, you decide what that is because it's different for different people. Um, for me, I think it's because we talk to you as human beings because we respect your smarts and your interest in knowing what's happening in the world and why. For other people, maybe it's because we offer the hat. The hat. Yeah. Exactly. Could be anything. one 800 909 9287 is the number to call. And, you know, the hat is great. It's yellow. It's navy. It's white. It's beautiful. It's fun. Um, And it's the kind of thing that's, I think, a perfect compliment to your support for WBUR. So if you're able to give $15 or more, we will gladly send you this hat. Moreover, with your contribution, we will keep sending you high-quality news journalism, conversation, 
and analysis day in and day out here on WBUR. So call us at 1-800-909-9287. It's a great return you get on your investment. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boathouse, supporting La Collaborativa, dedicated to uplifting Latinx immigrants with food, housing, jobs, education, training, and more, and providing 10,000 families with holiday meal boxes this Christmas. Donations accepted at la-collaborativa.org donate. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Elsa Chang in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. What is the state of protests in Iran nearly three months after the death of a 22-year-old woman who was in the custody of the country's so-called morality police? And how much weight should we give to reports over the weekend that the morality police have maybe been suspended? Azadeh Moavani is tracking events inside Iran closely from her base in New York. She teaches journalism at New York University and has covered the Middle East for two decades. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start with what we know, which is, according to Iranian state media, Iran's top prosecutor said the morality police have been abolished. But to be clear, other government officials have not confirmed this. Is that correct? That's exactly right. The statement used an ambiguous term about the morality police. It suggested that it may be suspended or abolished. Uh, the, the term in Persian, as I said, is, is a bit ambiguous. Okay. And subsequent sort of comments by different state bodies appear to have walked it back somewhat. So I think it's quite premature to see this as a formal, lasting sort of legislative act that would truly dissolve the morality police. So you're saying there's been some walking back. For Americans not familiar with the morality police, what they do, their role in Iranian society, what would the significance of a move like that be? It would be significant. I mean, the morality police are a branch of the municipal police. They roam the streets in white vans and apprehend women who they believe are not following the country's dress codes properly. They may apprehend uh, young men who seem to be wearing overly westernized hairstyles or man buns or, or things that don't conform with proper sort of Islamic comportment. Really, it's a mechanism of social control. But also this kind of attitude towards policing exists in, in different security bodies as well. So to actually really dissolve morality policing as a command within the Iranian security forces there would need to be a much more formal, much more higher up sort of announcement within Iran to really understand this is over. You spent two weeks in Iran earlier this fall, back when the protests were beginning. I, I did. It was, I mean, just the sheer palpable nature of having the majority of communities, neighborhoods, society on the sides of the protesters. You know, that silent majority's support matters. Uh, and you could, you know, I could see it. it you could sort of see it in um, elderly women going about their fruit shopping without their headscarves. You could see it in, um, you know, in, in different shops, you know, being willing to open their doors to protesters who needed to escape. I mean, to sort of see women en masse flouting these hijab rules, they're going to universities, government offices where you would never see women challenging these rules. It was just extraordinary. So I think this is a very different round of protests and the government knows it's up against something sort of far deeper and far more profound than anything it's faced before. 
So understanding that you're speaking now from outside Iran and trying, as are we all, to piece together what's what's going on inside the country, do you know how what you saw in September compares to the state of protests now? Are they still going strong? Are they ebbing somewhat? Do we know? We see that they are ebbing and flowing to an extent. I mean, there are weeks that are more quiet, um, but they are really persistent because really the government's response has been one of, of indifference. So... Although there may be quiet weeks, you know, there will be expanding strikes, as, as we've been seeing calls for this week. You know, at some point, that silent majority that I mentioned may be dragged into the streets. Well, let me turn you to this other potentially key development, a three-day strike now underway, uh, I am reading, across Iran. Who's striking? What are they striking for? Well, the reports of strikes that we've seen so far are within um, truck drivers, um, different shopkeepers. Uh, I think we have to be quite cautious about whether we see this as a widespread general strike. Hmm. Is there potential for a strike, if it were to, to gain traction, to put pressure on the regime in a way that street protests have not been able to, at least not yet? Absolutely bigger strikes um, across industries that are um, that are central and, and, and potentially strategic. I mean, that would take this to really a revolutionary level. We're absolutely, we're not there yet. Um, and I think it's partly because the protesters out on the street, um, they, they haven't been able to yet articulate uh, a positive vision of how and what they're seeking that would help all of the people watching and empathizing and supportive from the sidelines to give them a positive vision to come join in. So I think once, you know, if and when they're able to bridge that, then there's a potential for that kind of mobilization that we haven't seen yet. Azadeh Moaveni is an associate professor of journalism at New York University. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. 2022 has been a rough year for America's personal finances. After rising sharply last year, savings rates have plunged and credit card debt has ballooned. And that has sparked a throwback movement among some young debtors, as NPR's Stacey Vanek-Smith reports. Jamie Feldman is a writer and avid TikToker. And about five months ago, she posted a video that changed everything. I have a lot of debt. I'm starting with about $18,000 in credit card debt, which is so much. Feldman is 33. She's a freelance writer in Brooklyn. And she says there was no big splurge. It was just life in New York, working a low-paying job as a journalist and trying to keep up with wealthier friends. Dinner, drinks, shows, weddings, baby showers. Then during the pandemic, Feldman lost her job and her finances started to feel out of control. And she felt so alone. Nobody knew about her debt, not her friends, not her mom. So Feldman thought, I'm going to come clean to the whole world on TikTok. Why am I telling you this? In order for me to be held accountable, I'm going to need you to come with me on this journey. I'm terrified and uh, scared out of my mind. Feldman's TikToks have been watched millions of times. And she says people have been surprisingly kind, empathizing, offering advice, And for good reason. As prices have risen all across the economy, credit card debt has jumped at its fastest rate in more than a decade. And personal savings in the U.S. is at the second lowest rate on record. It's left a lot of people like Jamie Feldman drowning in debt with no real idea of how to climb out. 
Feldman started reading everything she could. And there was this one trend that caught her eye, and she decided to give it a shot. On TikTok, of course. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I'm a little more than halfway through a month-long experiment where I only use cash to buy things. Cash. Meet the personal finance revolution sweeping the nation. Gen Z and millennials have started using cash to buy things. No Apple Pay, no Amazon Prime, no Venmo, no cards, just cash. Organized in envelopes. One for groceries, one for gas, one for entertainment. So this is not exactly new. In fact, financial guru Dave Ramsey has been speaking about the envelope system for decades. We're going to put $500 cash for this pay period in an envelope, write food across the front of that envelope, and then you don't buy anything out of that envelope except food. Mm -hmm. And we don't buy any food ever except out of the envelope. I met Feldman at the grocery store to watch her put the envelope system to use. My groceries envelope. I don't have anything like fancy. It's just like a Chase Bank branded envelope. But it, this is my groceries envelope. Budget for the shopping trip? About $45. And the food has to last her about a week and a half. She's already planned out all of her menus, made a list. Do you want to shop? Yeah. yeah. Let's shop. And off we went. Feldman is focused. Her eyes do not wander over to the fancy cheeses or to the prepared foods. We roll right past those to the bread aisle, where the store brand is on sale. Really good for peanut butter and jelly making, which I've been eating a lot of since I started budgeting. And the price? Uh, $2.99, which is pretty good. 20 slices, so. It's 10 sandwiches. 10 peanut butter and jellies, baby, right there. Feldman does the math in her head as we go. Tomatoes, $4. Tofu, $1.89. Chickpeas, 89 cents. And she has to be vigilant. Prices are always moving. Over the summer, she got into the habit of buying a salmon filet that she could stretch into five meals. That they'll cut up for you um, at the counter if you bring it over to them. But then the price went from $20 to $40, which of course does not fly with Feldman's $45 grocery budget. What will fly? A whole chicken. It's $8.78. I feel like that's good, right? There are places in the store that she avoids entirely, but they do haunt her a little. There are these beautiful olive oils and these gorgeous bottles that are calling out to me. Do you, like, avoid the aisle? I, yes. (laughs) We didn't walk down there today. (laughs) Most of getting out of debt, says Feldman, boils down to these little mundane moments, like chicken instead of salmon or avoiding the olive oil aisle. But those little moments have a big impact. It totally changed my my understanding of my values and my relationships and with just the way I am in the world. It changed my life. It changed my, my whole outlook on everything. Feldman cooks more. She spends more time at home. She asks friends to go on walks instead of to dinner or drinks. And some of her friends are not her friends anymore. But she is committed, tracks her spending every day. She uses a mix of debit and cash now. Groceries, though, still all cash. How are you? How are you? Thank you. Total, $40.22, under budget. Thank you. Feldman posts her progress on TikTok almost every day. In fact, sometimes her progress is so fast, she forgets how much of the $18,000 in debt she's paid off, has to correct herself. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm in $16,000. No. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm in $15,000 of credit card debt, and I'm a little more... Feldman says she is going to keep budgeting, bargain shopping, and putting cash into envelopes until her debt is all paid off. 
Stacey Vanek-Smith, NPR News. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Eversource. Eversource knows the role energy plays in life for you and your family. And because of that understanding, in times like these, they offer plans that can help this winter. To see if you qualify, you can visit Eversource.com. It was a down start to the week on Wall Street. The Dow fell nearly 1.5%, 483 points. It ended the day at 33,947. S&P lost about one and three quarters percent to close at 39.99. The Nasdaq dropped nearly 2% to end the day at 11,240. In the forecast, still 46 degrees now should fall to about 39 degrees overnight tonight. Plenty of clouds around and then lots of clouds for tomorrow and Wednesday as well. Tomorrow's temperature should be in the mid-50s. Wednesday, rainy and warmish again in the mid-50s. Could finally see some sunshine once again on Thursday and maybe Friday as well. It's 621. WBUR supporters include Fidelity Investments, reminding you it's never too early to start saving for your child's future. Learn more about a tax-advantaged 529 college savings account and how you can use the money to pay for qualified expenses at fidelity.com slash ufund. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Anthony Brooks. There is an inseparable link between the journalism that you rely on from WBUR and the listener support that makes it possible. Listener support continues to carry WBUR like never before. That's why your monthly gift is so important right now. To give, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thanks. When Anthony Brooks says there's an inseparable link um, between what you hear on WBUR and what you give, that is absolutely the truth because we would not be here if it were not for your support, your contributions in the past, and we would not be as strong as we are in the future as well if it were not for your contributions right now. So please make the phone call right now because we are in the last laps of this fund drive. We want to be able to include you. You name the amount, but I can tell you, um, and, and Megan will as well now that if you're counting in terms of hats, you better get calling. <laughs> yeah, if you're counting in terms of hats, there's only four dozen left of these WBUR knit beanies. And they're really fun. They're warm and it's exactly what you need this winter. And we will be glad to send you one for a contribution of $15 or more. But you need to call 1-800-909-9287 or go online to WBUR.org. I think it's now down to 37 hats left. Uh, very often we talk about how much money we have left <laughs> to raise doing and doing it in terms of hats. It's a ba- base one hat. 37 hats left to go. Uh, so get yours right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You decide, again, whatever pledge level is right for you, but it's a minimum contribution of $15 for one of these hats. You can pledge $100 if you can swing that as well. Uh, here's WBUR's Martha Biebinger with one example of what your contribution supports. WBUR built a multimedia reporting team to provide serious, deep, compelling coverage on one of the most important issues of our time, the environment. Changes to our climate pose serious threats to our communities, our health, and our planet. These threats aren't off in the distance. They are happening today, all around us. To maintain this team and this coverage, WBUR depends on you. Specifically, we are asking for your financial support. I'm Martha Biebinger. 
A contribution of $10 or $15 a month will have a big impact. Here's how you can help. By calling right now, 1-800-929-9287 or going to WBUR.org. Martha Biebinger has her finger on the pulse of so many important issues. We are so lucky to have her. And uh, if you haven't thought about that in the past, think about all the talent we have here at WBUR, people who are so invested in keeping you informed, up to date on what's going on with accurate information that only comes from one place, and that is to inform and edify. That's worth something. You decide how much. one 800 909-9287-WBUR.org. And WBUR's climate team is taking a look at far more than just, you know, what do sea level rise uh, rises have to, uh, their impacts on, like, say, the seaport. That's an important issue. But we're also looking at, you know, what's the effect of rising heat on urban neighborhoods or about uh, in New England's forests or in our avail- the availability of water. Climate's changing everything, and the WBUR environment team is taking a look at as much as they can, and they cannot do it without your support. So call us at 1-800-909-9287, and for at least a $15 contribution, we'll give you one of those hats, but they're going fast. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much. If you pledged already in the fun drive, it is coming to an end very soon, so we hope you'll pledge again now. And by the way, listen to this next story coming Coming up from All Things Considered, if you want to know just about the spectrum of stories that we cover. Thank you. A grief counselor in Arizona who has a heart for abused animals started a sanctuary for grieving people. She calls it a care farm. Ryan Heinches of KNAU paid the farm a visit. And just a warning, the story discusses alleged domestic violence against children that some listeners might find disturbing. About a half an hour's drive from Sedona's famous Red Rocks, the Sella Care Farm offers refuge for those who've experienced the unimaginable. The 12-acre property is situated on a meandering creek. Next to an artesian spring, hundreds of small metal medallions hang from a tree-like steel structure and sway in the gentle breeze. Each bears the name of someone who's died. This one is to Harley Quinn with her birth date and to Jordan with love from his dad, and to Jade Evelyn from her loving parents. Lots of children. Joanne Cacciatore knows each medallion represents a world-shattering loss, events that have thrown open chasms of heartache. A research professor at Arizona State and the founder of this farm, she's dedicated a quarter century to helping others cope with trauma. We intentionally create space to remember our beloved dead because there's never a time, especially when the loss is catastrophic, there's never a time you stop missing them. For those who've endured anguish, Cacciatore's Care Farm offers a peaceful refuge from the outside world. Yoga, meditation, art therapy, and even kayaking are part of the program. And then there are the animals. Okay, let's see if I can call the goats. Within seconds, a herd of about a dozen of the eager creatures stampede in from a nearby pasture, hungry for attention. Hi, goats! Hi, Captain! Hi, Marta! Hi, Obi! Hi, Curdy Curdy! The goats are among 50 animals that live at the farm. Nearly all have been rescued, many from violent and abusive situations. They're not encumbered by the need to use language to make people feel better or feel differently. 
Nearby, a bearded man in his 30s repairs a water fountain. This is Eric Denton, and emblazoned on his gray sweatshirt is a family photograph with the names Sierra, Joanna, and Terry. These are his kids who were murdered last year, allegedly by their mother. I think they put me on about 10 different medications. All it was doing was just numbing me. I couldn't even express how I was feeling. It just stuck in my head. In a haze of grief, Denton eventually made his way to the farm. It's kind of a, it's, its own little world, its own little oasis here. And it's just peaceful. Down by the water, up in the sanctuary, here with the animals. Each time Denton came here, he found it harder to return to the real world. So in October, he moved to the area and now works at the farm doing maintenance and caring for the animals. So the animals, you know, they don't accidentally say things. They don't say good morning to you when you walk through the gate because not every morning is a good morning. I mean, how good mornings be good after, after you lose someone. Denton says in addition to the animals, the compassion and human connections he's found at the farm have been crucial. This is the only place where I can kind of relax and focus and, and not feel just uneasy, just uneasy wherever I would go other than this place. Denton's grief is something Cacciatore can identify with. She lost a child nearly three decades ago, and the tragedy set her on the path to becoming a grief counselor and eventually founding the farm in 2016. They come out and they come walk with the animals, and the animals just bring a certain lightness to their bodies, right? They get a little space and then they can start to process some of the intensity of what they just experienced, which is really powerful. For them, Cacciatore has taken on the role of something like a grief guru, advocating for facing it head on and being there for those confronting the darkest moments of their lives. If we ever want to have peace in our homes, in our bodies, and amongst nations, we have got to start talking about grief. We have to. And for her, that process starts with the anguished people who make the pilgrimage here to remember, memorialize, and work through their heartache in their own time. For NPR News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. And you're listening to All Things Considered. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software for technical computing and model-based design. Accelerating the pace of discovery in engineering and science, MathWorks.com.